Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As you notice, we're not in Featherstone uh, this week. We did get out alive, which was good. Phil, uh, you've managed to sleep since then. Um, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm fine. Um, some real heroes that needed sleep that uh, were doing not only incredible things, but even in the immediate aftermath, were still making themselves available for for interview and uh, at, at various um, seen some astonishing people close up. Kevin Sinfield, there, there, there are you know there are no more words we can say. I don't think other than. What a great achievement! What what a what a what a person! I think as I, I tweeted on Tuesday, not that we we all can't run hundred and one miles. I'm not even sure Mr. Sinfield could again, Sir Kevin Sinfield could again. But I think the lesson we all take from that is we'd all like to think we can we would do something extraordinary to help a friend, and and that's what he did and has done and know that will continue to do in many various ways. Yeah, I think hashtag be more Kev sums it up. If, if there was more Kev in the world, um, the world will be a better place. And 24 hours that um, he transcends sport. The, the message that he sends out is, is bigger than even... Uh, you know, whether he's rugby league, rugby union, whether it was just fans of you know both of those codes and various clubs within them that supported him. It, it clearly was a lot wider and a lot bigger than that. And um, he tapped into something in the national psyche that we're, we're missing at the moment and have done since the start of the, the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, you know, and that is the ability to see what's important in life and, um, to help out a mate, to to be to be selfless in uh, the way you apply yourself. Um, I don't think a, a knighthood's enough at the moment. I think it needs to be a sainthood now. And I think, as I said last week, when we were in Featherstone, 
with, with the way that they're handed out, I'm not sure it necessarily is a, a great uh, a great thing to have attached to your name. I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure many people who have them deserve them. I'm not saying that, but there are many people who you know, may have uh, done less for society and more for individuals, say, who have received them in the recent past. And no doubt they've always, you know, received them, you know. The fact that he has the respect of the right-thinking person on the streets is probably more important. And would he want to be, would he care? I don't, I don't know, I don't know. No, I, th- I think the big the big irony would be that if he was given a knighthood, uh, rugby league is still not had one in its <laughs> entire uh, hundred twenty six year history, which is a scandal. In that would be very very rugby league, but uh, it is it is young uh... who is the per- the 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 Rob Burrow planned Borough Centre at Seacroft Hospital and um, I think when when you put people of such drive and determination together with a fundraiser like Kevin then um, yeah I, I think it's going to happen and uh, um, and it, it is astonishing and uh, you know I, I, I don't think I've got the words to fully express what he went through um, but at no point did he make it about him um, even in the depths of um, the despair of, you know, the pain he was going through. And, and you know, let, let's be honest, he, as soon as he got over the halfway point, he'd never run that distance before. Um, so he knew there were going to be black times. Um, but at no point did, did he allow himself to be anything other than thinking about those around him, why he was doing it. Um, Astonishing, absolutely astonishing. As were the cyclists and and the other runner, since endurance runner, um, but wanted to complete it for his mate Kevin Sinfield. And I think that was the feeling that that went through it. That you know, at three o'clock in the morning, when there are people still on the streets wanting to put money in a bucket, in, in a bucket, this is so much more than sport. Uh, it is, and the, the fundraising continues. You can find the links online. Um... An amazing achievement, a superb achievement, and and one that will never, ever be forgotten. Um, and and then we go from from that, and and, and Ken Davy, what what a man, Pull, pulls you out of the hat, can't win an election, but gets a TV radio with Channel Four, and we're, we're all excited because they're going to be there at the Kevin Sinfield Mega Stadium on February twelfth against Warrington Wolves or whatever it is. I can't remember. I, I know the fixtures are out, but I, I, I have no interest in when fixtures are. But it's the Rugby League on free-to-air television, the Super League. First time a top-flight game has been on since, you know, the olden days of regional ITV, which, you know, no one mentions now because obviously everything began in, with Super League in 1996. But uh, we're there. It's going to be on telly. People are going to watch it. It's going to be fascinating. I think there's there's two two things actually. One is that um, we hoped this would happen. We knew that in the new um, TV deal with Sky, there there was a um, a window where ten games were offered to a free to air broadcaster. And I think that the model for things like that is clearly the hundred. There's now cooperation between a satellite broadcaster and a free to air because it can benefit both if it's done right. Um, you know, and it, R- Rugby Union have, have have done that as well. They, they've managed to get a little bit on 
various different platforms which which feed each other um the exciting thing i think from a a channel four point of view is that they are renowned for innovation um you know, I, I can remember coming across the nfl for the first time through channel four it, it was a highlights program it was uh you know sexy it was the, the, there was a rock soundtrack behind it. it was highlight driven it was an hour you look forward to the next hour uh, you could get to know the names of people the names of teams you didn't need to know the intricacies of the rules because it was a highlights program um but it took off um and it captured people's imagination it was exotic uh, they did the same with italian football um, you know nobody would have thought that you know seeing a, a a league in in europe where you didn't really have a feel for the teams you might have known some of the the english players that were going over there would take on a genuine cult status um even paralympics you know channel four has championed uh, the coverage of paralympics are very very brave but also in the way that they showed it um you know, has made it the spectacle that we now all can't wait to watch. They treated it seriously as a as a sport. So, so I think the most important thing is not necessarily that there is a, a free to air broadcaster for the first time in Super League, but actually who they've got. Um, and I know they put out to independent production companies for um, what it's going to look like, but but they have to prove to Channel Four that they're going to bring something a little bit different. And, and I think the one thing that we do know about the sport is with the accessibility that that we've got with the um, the fact that we, we have ready made personalities. It's just that the rest of the world don't know who they are yet. You, you talk about the first game, you know, Leeds and Warrington. There isn't really a better game that weekend. We, we, we might be having a, a rerun of the grand final, but actually Daryl Powell's first game in charge of Warrington. That's something that a lot of people, I think, there's a narrative there we'll want to see how that pans out. He's doing it at a ground where he started his coaching career. Uh, Blake Austin could well be making his debut for Leeds against the, the Warrington team he's just left. There's huge stories there. And if they've got um, a production company that can tell those stories, that if they want to mic up the, the referee, they'll, they'll do that. The sport will allow them to do that. If they want to put a camera in the ball, whatever it might be. Um, they'll be allowed to do it. And I think, again, the, the half past 12, we've talked about it a lot, that when you play is quite important as well um, for, for generating an audience. And there are times in the sporting schedule that are underexploited. And half past 12 on a Saturday, just as your sporting weekend is is really about to, to, to start, that, that could be a really good time to show games. They're going to show, on average, a match a month. I know they've got a, a four at the beginning and they've certainly got two at the end but that means they've got to really have a magazine program they've got to have a podcast they, they've got to have other products that will tell the story while they haven't got the live games give it context and and, and i don't think we should be looking at um again presenters we've looked at before i, I think this should this should be new you know maybe adam hill should front it maybe helen skelton should be involved you know maybe jody cunningham should be one of the lead commentators but what it gives the sport the chance to do is determine its own image in a modern setting um so yeah you know uh, with the with the greatest respect to voices that perhaps we might have heard before or people of an era they're not who should they should be going for i can see premier doing that um that is appealing to a niche audience and and a, and a established market channel four could be anything um I, I was saying to my good lady the other day we, we've started watching um some of the bbc two coverage i think it is of the nfl 
where the two guys who are fronting it, Jason Bell and um, an ex-player whose name I can't remember, I'm watching for their interaction, mm. for their excitement. about uh, When they talk about a game, you want to see the highlights of the next one. It's young, it's vibrant, it's different, it's a bit brash. Um, it's not taking the sport too seriously, but giving you all the background information to make sense of the sport. Um, that's what I want to see on Channel 4, and I think that's the, that is the outlet where we might get it. What's interesting is I, I, most of my column for next month, I have written about various things about due, Channel 4. Due, due this week, just got yeah. there. Oh, it's, it's, it's nearly finished, it's nearly finished. But now I'm, I'm thinking I may have to not rewrite bits, but I think you're right. I think the – and we don't know where the highlight program is going to go yet, but I think that that is the program where you can experiment a bit more. You go back to mentioning Channel 4 showing the NFL in the early 80s, associated by Nicky Horn, who was a, a DJ, uh, you know, so he's still on the radio these days. So you can look for someone who is left of field because it's a highlight program. It's not – as crucial as getting the person right and they have to get the person right who fronts the live games because as we saw with the 2011 World Athletics on Channel 4 the production company chose Artie Steely who's a very good TV presenter failed under the spotlight of doing live sport it's a different thing uh, I've seen plenty of names suggested on social media in the last seven days who would be awful choices just because they've got some connection to rugby league it's it's not an easy job doing live sport on television. Even the, the best, I think Des Lyman at the World Cup in 1990 froze on, on one game. So it's not an easy job. You need a very safe pair of hands for that. But certainly the, the highlights package, whoever takes it on, is certainly something you can play with and, and have a bit more fun with. And, and hopefully and that's what happens. I, I just hope they get the right people in the right positions because if they don't, then the game could be great. But the first impression will not be, and that's the that's the concern. But people need to remember, as you've mentioned there before, Channel Four tender these things out to production companies. They are a publisher. They are not a uh, they're not like ITV. Well, ITV and the BBC are more like that these days as well. But they are a publisher, not necessarily just a broadcast. They don't make programs. They commission people to make them for them. So it's all up in the air. It's all going to be very interesting in how they do do things differently because. It's, different. it's difficult to do things differently because a game of rugby league, a game of football, a game of rugby union, cricket, nothing's really changing how you show them because they've always been the same way. So how you can do things around the match will be fascinating to see what those innovations are. Just yeah, not making up Aston Sims. They need a strong lead commentator because clearly um, you, you're going to have two two markets to service at the same time one an established one who wants somebody who is credible and clearly knows what they're talking about and one uh, you know who can also at the same time explain it to potential new audiences um i think we know somebody who could fulfill that role but i think it's more the packaging um around it that i'm really interested to see and uh, you know not not wishing to go on too much about the hundred because i think that its second year is going to be very mm -hmm. interesting but 
you know, by having music, by having a DJ, by having a, a presentational style that appealed to men, women, young and old, um, they did make cricket look and feel a little bit different. Now, that might have partly been the format, but as you say, the format didn't really change. It was still a bloke throws a ball and another guy hits it as hard as he can. Um, that didn't change, but the feel around the game was that you were watching something a little bit different. And I think because of the accessibility of the sport. If they do want to hear a coach's team talk before his side go out, have your bleep machine ready, they will get that. Uh, you know, if, if they do want to, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, interview people whilst the game is in progress who are involved in the game, they will be, about, you know, somebody comes off and is substituted and everybody buys into the fact that, you know, while they're sat on the sideline, there, there is going to be a, a microphone thrust under their nose or somebody is going to be mic'd up without affecting the, the way that they play, which the BBC have done a little bit of. But, um, you know, again, could be interspersed with the game as it's going on or um, how, however they do it, what, whoever gets the contract will have to prove to Channel 4 that they have got ideas to present it in a different way to what we've seen up to now. And that's exciting because if we get that right, um, it becomes less about the teams, less about the fixture and more about creating something that people want to want to see, uh, uh, you know, um, 10 times a year, which, which is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we we said it would be difficult for um, a free free to air to 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 pull it off. I think the the fact that if we have a saving grace, we did we did sort of joke a little bit about it. We did say that Channel 4 coming to Leeds gives them a, a different remit, that they have to employ local production companies. They um, they, they have to use people who um, is, is putting money back into the local economy. That That's why they've moved their headquarters. Um, so there was always a chance that um, something that is very important to the sport, uh, to the region, the sport that is, might have got a slot. Um, you know, they're not frightened to put Kabaddi on in the past, stuff like that. What we've got to do is make sure that in these this first year, we give them everything they need for the reason that they think it's going to be successful. In the second year, we take it to a different level. And when that second year finishes, they want to either get more involved in sport or other broadcasters with more financial clout will say, having seen what you've done, we want a part of this. So I, I, it's very important that um, we make sure that we fulfil our part of the bargain and don't just clap ourselves on the back and say, it's great that Channel 4 are covering us. The clubs have to give Channel 4, the production company for Channel 4, as much access as they need and more, more than they need. Give them everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we will not get another chance at this. We have to make sure we are putting our best foot forward in every sense. Um, I know it's it, it's only Channel Four or whatever. It doesn't matter, you know. It, it's this is the biggest opportunity in, in a long time, so we have to make sure everyone buys into it. If we don't, then we may as well not bother. And you know, <laughs> I would like to see, um, regardless of whether um, a broadcaster does pick up the highlights, I would like to see the sport do something in house that they can stick on YouTube, they can stick on TikTok or whatever make more use of more modern social media um, because that's the way we're going to promote our stars. I'd like to see, you know, where's our, where's our rugby league representative on Steph's pack lunch every week? You know, Chris Kamara's on there all the time. Where's, 
Where's Danica or whatever? Get him on there. Well, but but I think that's how Channel Four will help enhance the profile of the sport. That what they'll do is, if we can give them the personalities, they will uh, roll them out into other program. You, you know, Adam Hills is doing a great job on the last leg because. You know, we had a, a model of Kevin Sinfield on his desk this week. If there's a rugby league story, he'll mention it. Now, the other the others on the panel were a, a little bit disparaging, particularly David Mitchell. But I think we can change opinions. Um, and I think you're right that it, it's it's getting it on Bake Off one week or whatever it might be. You know, Make a cake uh, of Kevin Sinfield's head. What, what, but the fact is that's where they will see additional value. And I think we can provide them with it because the one thing we know is we've got the stories. We just haven't been great at telling them. Um, you know, clearly there, there there will be league games in wheelchair rugby league. There'll be not all of the, the women's season that will be picked up on a week-to-week basis by Sky and, and the BBC. And it's great that they'll show internationals and grand semifinals and grand finals and Challenge Cup finals. But there may even be that we can feed into the Channel 4 coverage other aspects of rugby league that fit the profile of what they're about. And the more that we can spread, uh, you know, get James Simpson on uh, on Steph's pack lunch, which is filmed clearly next door to where they'll be producing the rugby league. And, you know, all of that will enhance what we can do and we can provide it. Um, so let, let, let's hope that, that I, I think there's a feel around the, the chief executives and the owners of the clubs that they're coming out and saying this could be big. Uh, Adam Pearson said it, Gary Hetherington said it. Um, clearly, I, I think there is a there is a, there is a feel that this is an opportunity that we cannot let slip. And, you know, if, if we're going to make the best of it, then we're going to have to give them over and above what they think they're going to get from us to 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 enhance the the product that we've got and and it ha, it's less about geography now it's more about making it look different exciting times exciting times um is there any other news that's gone on in the last week i think i think that's all the news i know Leeds rhinos women have signed more players uh, really looking <laughs> forward really looking forward to the two team uh, women's super league next year um what what i will <laughs> say it's really interesting the calibre of player that's signing in the championship because um, clearly Super League clubs, if they wanted to, could have signed Joey Leilua. They could have signed Nene MacDonald. But I think uh, we're getting a quality of player in the championship that perhaps we weren't expecting, um, you know, in, in the light of the restricted finances and, uh, and, and coronavirus. So I suspect that... Um, Again, you know, Premier will be rubbing their hands as we believe that on a Monday night they'll be getting some superstars that they can promote as well, which which is great. And um, I don't think we've seen the end of that yet because you know Featherston signing Leilu has probably prompted um, Lee to go out and sign McDonald, and and you know Bradford might be the next that are going to announce somebody that that is unexpected, and they don't all have to be from overseas, but um, yeah. That, that's shaping up to be a, a really interesting year as well. Um, so, yeah, as we go into the sort of the quieter Christmas period, I, more, more fans of more clubs have, have, have actually got things to talk about. We're, we'll talk to somebody who's written a book about Hull KR, about why he's so optimistic at the moment. Uh, you know, he, even a, a, a further author who we'll speak to has written a book about Wigan. He, he's he's again looking at, at this season and saying, I think we can be something. I, I, I I, I don't know whether he's right or not. Not not all the fans of all the clubs are going to be satisfied with how their teams start the season. But there is a... I don't know if it's safe to say there's a feeling of optimism, but you asked at our fans forum 
um, at Featherstone last week, rate the sport between two and nine in deference to the great Brian McDermott at Featherstone these days. Well, they all love um, him in Featherstone. They're erecting a statue as we speak. Last Monday um, was probably a five. I think we may have sneaked up to a six on uh, on some of the things that happened this week. Was it 6.3, the maths team? Yeah, six, the mathematician, 6.3. Carl Vorderman gets a mention in the new column. Uh, it goes off on a tangent. We'll see if that remains in. The best the line December, the, the December issue is all about tangents. The, the the best line in the current column was not written by me, but uh, but there you go. Um, so the plans for the next few weeks, I'm hoping to get some League One guests on soon. What I need to do, I've not asked him this yet, but you've mentioned it a couple of times, you mentioned it later. We need to do a, a reassessment of the 2000 World Cup. And I know you spent a lot of time with Mr. Doidge on that one. So we'll, we'll, we'll get him on because he'll, he'll come back on. Um, there were there were some terrible moments, but within it were some absolute nuggets of development gold and some really good games that just got wiped out because everybody said it was crap. So we need to we need to reassess the the two thousand World Cup. That's what we'll do. Uh, we've got our end of year review thing, which I don't know how we're going to do. Danica's going to come in and talk to us about her career because we've never spoken to her about that yet. It's always been about rugby and stuff, but we want to talk to her about her. And and all the other stuff in the build is Christmas. And then the new year will be here and it'll be all it'll be back. Well, we've been asked, we to do, asked to do another fans forum in Hunslet. So oh, hopefully second week in January, perhaps on a Tuesday night, we uh, we may well go live again. And uh, I think that one, unlike the library one, which was really to send round the libraries, this one is going to be more interactive with an audience. So <laughs> as soon as we get details for that, um, we'll let people know and they can uh, they can bring their rotten fruit. I used the rugby union calculator and there were hundreds of people in Featherson last week. I mean, they may not have been actually in the library, but, uh, but they were there. I saw a lot of cardboard cutouts, but they were there. They were there from Toronto, I suppose they were. It was, um, it was to test the, the libraries um, for the World Cup coming up. And uh, the, so far, the feedback we've had is that uh, it went okay. People who listen to the podcast enjoyed it. We will, you know, if you want us to come to your local club, tell them to get in touch with us and we'll, we'll you know, we're happy to turn up and bring our unique brand of whatever this is to, to, to your to your venue. So here, here's what's coming up, right? I've got three guests now. So this is going to be a mega long podcast, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to put timestamps on so you can decide where you want to listen to or not. We've got uh, first will be, uh, let, let me get the names right, because otherwise I'll, I'll, I'll get it all wrong. And, I, you know, this is, you know, I'm supposed to be a professional now and like, Maybe someone from Channel 4 will be watching this and thinking, he's the man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not one of those people who's going to tweet Channel 4 production company saying, get him on. No, uh, Daniel Barker Gray is on first, talking about Broken Time, which is his history of rugby league up until the year 2000. Uh, so not on 1996, which is when it all changed, of course. Uh, Dan Crowder is a Hull KR fan who's written a book about Hull KR, which serendipitously has uh, fallen into a season where they were successful. That's called the Robin Things again. And finally, nothing to do with rugby league, uh, but I like him. Uh, ben Baker's on talking about his book, Ben Baker's Christmas Box, which is about Christmas TV. Because it, the idea is books you might want to buy people for Christmas because books apparently are, are a good thing. You know, they're, 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 they're full of words and you might learn something. And, and Phil's got a shot full of them. So, you know, got to do something. So we'll, we'll be back at some point in the future, at some point next week when I've arranged things, I've had the, the booster today, so I'm expecting to just 
I've, I've not collapsed yet. I've not fallen apart, which reminds me. I tweeted this last week, and I tweeted it again yesterday. When are people in Rugby League going to learn? You're gonna I know what get, you're going to say. You know, I, I, especially people from a club where someone was heavily sanctioned by the RFL, and you're still tweeting things. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it, Phil. I don't get it. I have no common sense, but I'm quite good at editing myself, which is surprising. But then, you know, let's let's let's, let's move on. Right, here's a sting. Here's some books. Enjoy the rest of the program. We'll see you again soon. This has to be pointed out. Is that the famous? Terrible Wigan shirt, or is the one? Is that the one the year after? This is the one the year after. This is the uh, the one we wore in the uh, first grand final. So it's still got a terrible badge on, but not the it's, Warriors. Yeah, it's not, thing. it's not the. Yeah, it's not the. Um, it's not the greatest, but it, yeah, like you say, it's not the worst. See, people know about these rebrandings these days, but that that is a that is a terrible badge. That is a terrible badge. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I, I, I didn't know what was wrong with the old ones to be totally honest with you, but you know, I don't get paid to make the decisions. <laughs> this is how these things start. Daniel Barker Gray, you are the uh, author of a new book called Broken Time. I saw you holding it up a minute ago. Hold it up to the camera. Go show, show the people. Yeah. There we go. I'll hold it far enough away so that they, they don't see how terribly pixelated the picture is on the front, <laughs> which is beyond my control. And uh, if anyone does end up behind it, I do apologize. Uh, I mean, I was at that game. I'm assuming you were, Phil, because uh, I, I was there with school because I'm obviously very young. And um, I was at, sat at the opposite end. And would you believe it? I was cheering Leeds that day because obviously being from Wakefield, we don't like Lancashire. But now, obviously, I, you know, times have changed and I would have been supporting Wigan, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, never mind that. Uh, Martin Fires try a, a seminal moment in the history of rugby league, and you, you've pretty much written a, a series of essays on various parts of rugby league history, and, and this is your book. That, that's my summation of it, anyway. You, you sum it up better than I can. It was basically something to keep me sane during uh, whilst working th- throughout the entire pandemic. To be brutally honest with you, more than anything, but um, yeah, like you say, a collection of essays, really, sort of about various points in in the game's history a lot of stuff obviously has been done to death um which is why i don't go despite the title i don't go sort of in in depth into sort of like the origins of the game um but i do like to, i do talk about the uh, the first championship season which obviously we should talk about but also sort of things such as like the, the game's history in london uh, france wales um and the interesting interestingly enough to some people perhaps um the, the bbc2 floodlit trophy <laughs> I, 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 and you've not mentioned been chronic- not been chronicled enough no uh, what, no, sorry, hasn't been, what, what hasn't been chronicled enough and you've mentioned it and, and i am obsessed with it because i've i've taken a photo of it while we were at warrington for the women's cup final in 20 whenever it was now is the, the ITV version from 1955, which is the most ridiculous tournament ever, which was not broadcast in the North. And yeah. um, I, I, I'm Warrington won it, because 1955 was their year, of course. But uh, Of course. 
I, and no one knows anything about the tournament because it was all played in London. Uh, the programs for it cost a fortune on eBay because I'm trying to buy them. But but it's mentioned in there. Which it's nice. We need, we need more uh, obscure bits of history. And, and it, it, you know, it's, it, as you say, <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> tried to start things during the pandemic, beat podcasts or books. At least you've got something, a physical thing, to show that you actually did do something during the pandemic rather than 95% of us who haven't got anything to show for it. Yeah, that's like I say, because um, I work in the, the adult social care sector, so obviously it involved a lot of long days and, you know, a lot of difficult days. So, it, like I said, it was just something to keep me occupied on my days off more than anything. Uh, but I was quite proud of myself for actually finishing it, because this is probably about the seventh or eighth book on Rugby League I have started and <laughs> never finished. So, <laughs> Is it safe to say that from the research that you've done, there's nothing new in rugby league that we get excited uh, about changes in structure and potential white knights coming over the horizon and expanding to new territories. And actually putting something like this down to paper shows you that it's nothing we haven't already done before. Yeah. There's, there, it does seem that there is a sort of lot of rinse and repeat throughout the, uh, the game's history. You know, um, we, we stand now it seems that we've been saying it every year for the past sort of five years, but we now stand at a sort of a, a bit of a, a crossroads in the game. You know, we, we've we've got the brilliance of the the Channel Four deal coming in, which is fantastic for the game, and hopefully now we'll start to make household names of the players again. Um, but then we still we're still in the dark about how the game is actually going to going to look. Are we going to continue with the structure we're in now? Are we going to go to the to the two? two leagues of 10, which has been heavily mooted. And see, you know, again, it just, it seems like rugby league has been for a number of years, a game sort of trying to reinvent the wheel somewhat. And, and in terms of what you found out, did anything surprise you? Were, were you um, looking for some fact or nugget that historians do that nobody's discovered before? Um, I, I was trying to, and, as Richard mentioned, obviously, I, I didn't really know too much about the um, ITV's attempt at a floodlight rugby league competition, which was quite interesting to find out. Um, I watched so many sort of videos throughout it, uh, throughout the research process, and you know, finding out that I think the biggest takeaway I managed to get that I tried to impress people with, and no one seemed to care, is the fact that Richard Madeley used to present uh, rugby league highlights on Granada. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and Clive, Tils sport, Clive Tildesley, and Clive Tildesley, yeah, the uh, the great Clive Til Tildesley, yeah. Um, I, 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 was, I didn't grow up in the uh, in the Granada region, sadly. Um, I grew up in the Yorkshire TV region because bizarrely that's what we have here in Cleethorpes, but it's um, it, which it hasn't has never really shown much interest in rugby league, in certainly in my lifetime, but um. Yes, it was it was difficult to try and find stuff that hadn't already been written about, but I think that's part of the research process of anything, really, isn't it? Too young to remember the glory days of scrum down uh, on a, a Sunday night at you know in, in the traditional now rugby league half past eleven at night after the news and after whatever else has been uh, put on there. Didn't they show the Bradford Northern in the, the famous fog game on there, Phil? Are you. <laughs> They, they probably would have done. But but the thing is, we weren't used to any coverage in those days. So we were more than happy to wait till half 11 to see anything. It's it's not like 
you know today where it, there's instant uh, instant access to all forms of try highlights or or live games. No, it was uh, it was different. It were different in those days. How, how does a Wigan fan end up in Cleethorpes anyway? What, what's going on there? Um, my dad was uh, from Wigan. Um, my mum was from my mum's from Grimsby. Uh, they met while well, my mum was at uni in Manchester in the mid eighties. Um, then I come along and. You sort of have it indoctrinated into you. Uh, like most kids around here, I also support Man United. So make make uh, make of that what you will. But um, yeah, I had, I had Wigan sort of drummed into me from an early age. It's better than Grimsby Town, I guess. Uh, and you know, famously, you know, the most famous Yorkshire sports person of all, Sir Geoffrey Boycott. He's a Manchester United fan, which which you know is beyond the pale. I think that stems from perhaps one or two uh, drinking sessions with uh, George Best and uh, Sir Bobby Charlton, perhaps. I'm not sure that bears thinking. I, I can't imagine George Best and Jeffrey Boycott getting on. But then again, Jeffrey. Uh, I, I, I bet I know who bought the drinks. It wasn't the Yorkshire. No, definitely not. <laughs> we, we mentioned Wigan. Obviously, uh, there's part of the book about their rise and dominance in the 80s and 90s. Um, I guess that was a fun part to research, reliving the uh, the glory days, if you will. Yeah, most definitely. You know, um, going back and reading, reading about the great players. You know, Ellery, um, the the imports. Um, you know, Brett Kenny, John Ferguson. Uh, my personal, despite the fact he's a little bit before my time, I'll tell. I'll go into conversation with anybody at great length and tell you how much I admire Dean Bell. Um, and you know, yeah, it's just great to be able to, um, you know, talk talk about the, the greatest time. I don't think it's a particularly great, a grandiose term when I say that the, the Challenge Cup unbeaten run is possibly one of the best unbeaten streaks in, in British sport, not just rugby league, but in, in sport in general in this country. I can't think of anything that would match that in terms of longevity because it was just a ridiculously long amount of time. Well, at least... Uh, I, like... think, I, think, I, I think probably the end thing that I could attribute it to, and a mate of mine said this, but we, we attribute it to the Undertaker's uh, streak at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> not all the Harlem Globetrotters, but I, I think two of those three are not, uh, perhaps, perhaps not on the level. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of people who inspired you writing-wise, I mean, clearly there's been some wonderful histories of the sport written. Um, who, who's your source of reference? Um... Well, I'm a big, big listener. Um, if I could just plug another podcast for a moment, I'm a big, uh, big fan of Tony Collins' uh, podcast, Rugby Reloaded. Um, also, I've got it here. This was one of the books that I used uh, for great, um, great research, and uh, Richard's other book, uh, Hundred Days That Shut Rugby League. Um, but. To be honest with you, it was just something that I, I again, I just sort of. I've been interested in writing about a certain a different uh, variety of topics for a number of years now, and it was just sort of something that just came up off my own back. But now, any anybody that has an interest in in rugby league um, is automatically, you know, a, a source of inspiration for me because, without wishing to make it sound like we're a bit of a cult, there's not that many of us. 
I'm intrigued as you say you started seven or eight books what what were those books about because I, I've tried to I've started many things and never, never got around to finishing them what 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 have you what, what have you tried to write about they've just thought oh, I can't be bothered anymore well what one was um about sort of like the history of um of the ashes in rugby league um and it, it's just been sort of like lots of different bits um I, I, at one point I did um, start thinking about writing a book about Wigan's great dominance, but there's already a book about that that I don't think that does uh, more justice to the topic than I think I ever could. Um, without wishing to make anyone feel particularly old or anything, you, you have to take into account. I, I was five when the Super League year started, so <laughs> to talk about a, a topic like that has been would be uh, sort of it would involve a heavy amount of research and again going over stuff that's probably already been said but yeah it's just a number of different things to do with rugby league um i didn't th- i wondered if i could get a a book out of the uh, the one professional rugby league game that took place at blundell park in i believe 1981 but i again don't really <laughs> i don't think i can get much out of that I mean, there is a book based on, on one game that is does happen to be probably the most famous game ever in, in 1968, which you don't like to mention, but I, I don't know. I guess games played at obscure stadia. Maybe there's something there. Hull KR, something played, that, yeah. Yeah, Hull KR played a game against, oh, was it Cardiff at Nottingham? Because I've got the programme somewhere. Um, yeah. Games play that might be a random thing to write about one day, but I, I I I like the idea that you've started, you've given up, but perseverance means you've actually got this this book published. How proud are you that you've been able to to do that? Oh, immensely! You know, um, it's it's something that you, you never think you you could perhaps do. You know, to 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 have a tangible book with your name on it as the author. He's, yeah, I'm never going to play rugby league at any sort of level. So to me, that's like, you know, stepping out at Old Trafford for the grand final or scoring at Wembley in the Challenge Cup final. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger thrill as you can get, really. What about things like design and editing and um, print and all that kind of thing? Was that all new to you as well? Or did you have to take advice? Or is it relatively easy in this world of... Um people out there that can help you with that kind of thing it, i found it quite easy because um obviously the first thing i did was obviously write it and then because i've done it through um the company who shall not be named for for not paying the taxes <laughs> um that you know they, they're um self-publishing um mechanism so to speak has a a, a guideline system put in place but that helps you out um and yeah, designing the cover and stuff—it's it, made—it's made quite simple for you, um, which is good for someone like me who's not particularly <laughs> well uh, well versed in such a topic. So now you've run on one. Are you going to do another? And, and will it be well, rugby league? Will it be something else? I I did get asked this the other day by a mate of mine on Facebook. Um, he did ask why did I go only to the year two thousand, and I said, well, maybe there's you know we've got. 21 years worth of stuff to talk about now I know I touch a little bit sort of like the chapter that's sort of like a, a potted history of the grand final I talk about last year's grand final which still sticks in my uh, 
sticks in my crawl, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I talk about that. I talk about the postponement of the World Cup till uh, this uh, till next year. Sorry, but no, there's there's plenty more I can talk about in the in the past twenty years. So uh, yeah, there's, there's, there might be a second one. Uh, and if if not rugby league, I know one of your other uh, passions is is one I share as well, which Phil will not want to understand because he's got far more important things to do in his life than play computer games, which is the various incarnations of championship manager and football manager. You're not going to do one of those semi-autobiographical stories of your route through management from wherever to wherever, eventually winning the World Cup with England. Um, well, I said. I don't know if I, I could do justice to, to that being in a written sense, which is why I do it on the on YouTube. But um, no, I've read a couple of those uh, of books like that, and it is something that I did think about at one stage. But uh, you know, it's, it's it's making it unique, isn't it? <laughs> I, and I guess the, the problem is there's no rugby league. I don't know there is there are rugby league equivalents, but they're not quite the same. They're not quite as uh, they're not quite grab you as as much as. Football manager sadly does. It's like a drug fill. You have, you have to believe it's like it's like biscuits. It's like biscuits. Well, now I'm with you. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, fe- I fell down a bit of a wormhole during a night shift at work last year and ended up watching uh, you play rugby boss and rugby coach on YouTube. Um, and I've been trying my hardest to try and download them. Uh, but for some reason it's not letting me because I, I thought that'd be some good fun to do. But um, yeah, no, the, 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 maybe, maybe it's a gap in the market for, for, for nowadays. Who knows? It's, it's a strange world. It's a strange world. It takes all sorts, Phil. So who would you say your book is aimed at? Because as you say, it's, it's more a series of interconnected essays rather than longer chapters. Do you, do you think there's a market maybe for younger people who want to get a, a taste of the history of the sport rather than sort of wade into, um, you know, a, a, one of Professor Collins' lengthy tones? Um, yeah, most definitely. You know, at the end of the day, um, it's sort of aimed at everybody. It's if you're stuck on a train for an hour or so and you're interested in rugby league and it's something, you know, it's something you can just flick, flick through and it's not too heavy. Um, it serves, I think, as an introductory package to people who have probably seen rugby league on the TV or in the papers or whatever and would like to learn a little bit more about the game's history. Or, like you say, yeah, young people who, again, have picked it up at school and perhaps would like to learn a bit more about the game. It's, um, it's something for everyone, I think. Sounds like ideal for sending to the head of sport of Channel 4. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about it later, Phil, but which people will hear before this bit because of anything. I mean, the Channel 4 deal, as you mentioned, it, it's, uh, it is a big deal for the sport, isn't it? Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, um, it, it's like I said before, it's, this is rugby league's opportunity to make household names of the players. You know, if you ask someone who a rugby, uh, to name a rugby league player, there's a good chance they'll say Martin Afire. And that's because, you know, at one point he was in everything, including Emmerdale. So, you know, and he's not laced a pair of boots up in 20-odd years. And now, you know, what he's done is fantastic and you can't take anything away from him. The most prevalent rugby league player at the minute is Kevin Sinfield. But again, hasn't played rugby league in five years or whatever. 
and now is now works for a rugby union club. This is rugby league's opportunity to get players, and I'm not saying getting them in on like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, or you know, bake off or anything like that. But it's it's this is rugby league's first real opportunity in a good number of years to put itself in the shop window and try and attract new new uh, new supporters. And I really hope that Channel 4's coverage of it does it justice. That's going to be the big acid test. What, what are you expecting from Wigan in, in 2022? Obviously, a, a change of uh, coaching staff, Sean Wayne's back. Expectations always high, whoever's in charge. A decent yeah. shirt. And a good shirt. Yeah, it is a really nice kit. Um, I'm probably going to end up getting, getting at least one of them. But um, I, there needs to be improvement from last season because... You know, the, we, we were held trialless against the likes of Leeds and St. Ellen's, which are the games, you, you know, you really want to be putting a lot of effort into. Um, I'll be interested to see how um, how Cade Cust um, sort of fits into the game. Um, and I'm I'm excited at the prospect of seeing Jay Field as well. Um, obviously, we only got glimpses of him last season after he got injured in uh, round one against Lee. So I'm hoping, uh, just hoping for a bit more improvement more than anything. Um, St. Ellen's are going to be difficult to stop. Um, Catalans will be going to come back stronger, um, especially since they've signed uh, Dylan Napper as well, which is uh, a good signing for them. And you know, Leeds are going to uh, are going to be strong as well. So as long as we're in and about the uh, the top five towards the end of the season, sort of the upper upper ranks of the top five, I'll, I'll, I think I'll be happy. You didn't mention Warrington, though. Yeah, I was going to say 150th year anniversary as well, so it's uh, it's quite a landmark year for, for the Cherry and Whites. Have you been to the museum exhibition that they've just opened, or is it is it on your list of things to do? Apparently it's got very, very good reviews. It's on my to-do list. Um, I joined the um, Wigan Rugby Heritage Society, um, so I've seen a lot of it on the Twitter recently. Um, I've not been to it yet. Um, but it, yeah, it's definitely on my to-do list for uh, for this year. Um, hopefully, um, combine it with going to a game as well. So uh, yeah, hopefully we can do do something. Just I'd like to see us win the Challenge Cup in the 150th year. At White Hart, well, what is, no, it's the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's called. It's not White, even though it is White Hart Lane. It's not called that. But. Yeah, we, whatever they're going to call it this week. So one of the things I was going to ask you about is you, you look at the 2000 World Cup, um, which I think at some point will be re-evaluated because clearly a lot went wrong with it um, and everybody focused on that. But there, there were some really important bits in there. What, what, what would be your take having studied it again? Was, was it um, success or failure or somewhere between the two? I think it was somewhere in the middle. Um, the pr- Probably the main reason that a lot of people see it as a failure is the fact that the host nation got absolutely walloped in the semi-final. Um, and the fact that every game, it seems to be hammering it down with rain. But at the same time, there, there were a lot of positives to take from it. You know, look, the elephant in the room is Wales against Australia. You know, that in World Cup equivalents, that's the same, same as a, a small African nation going in at halftime against Brazil leading. Um, it's it, yeah, like you say, it will be re- re-evaluated at some point. Um, the fact, the, the main factors that you you notice are the fact that it was a, a financial 
sort of it, it recorded a financial loss and England didn't play very well and it seems it seems to be that they were playing almost in front of empty stadium. I was actually watching just for a bit of background noise I was watching the Australia versus uh, Samoa uh, quarter final game at Watford and all you can see is like swathes of empty seats I think it was a case of it was trying to run before it walked you know five years previously we'd had a 10 team World Cup which for the most part had been played in the, and I'm going to use the term that I hate, Heartlands. Um, and I, I appreciate the idea behind the 2000 World Cup. I think it was just a little bit too early. I, I think we'll reevaluate the fact that it was actually quite bold in some of the venues it went to. And had there been a development plan on the back of it, particularly Ireland would have been a success. I thought the quarterfinal against England was was one of the games of the tournament. But also people forget that the final was an absolutely outstanding game of rugby league. Um, and for 65 minutes, could have gone either way. But the reason it didn't was because the Aussies that won it were among the best players we'd seen in the modern era. But uh, no, it, I think it's, it's, it's great that you focus on that because too many people just write a line saying it was a financial disaster and nearly sent the game bankrupt. But it was a little bit more than that. Yeah, most definitely. One of the great one of the great interviews with Hazim El Masri of Lebanon as well, which was uh, was something to be cherished. <laughs> most definitely, and um, you know th- that's another thing that sort of I wanted to sort of touch upon in the book is that rugby league has never been afraid to try and take a risk. You know, it was the first first game of either oval ball code to host a World Cup that could have gone either way. You know, move into summer with Super League. You know, ultimately, it's probably benefited the game, you know, because there were so many clubs in danger of going to the wall. And, you know, you hear, you hear all these stories of going to Walsall in the in the, in the the winter and, you know, fog rolling down the, the steps and frozen pitches left, right and centre. So That was yeah, in August. That was in August, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you know, Rugby League has never been afraid to, um, to, to, to stand up for what it thinks. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of how the game came into existence. You know, it was... It, it took a stand and it said no against the establishment. Uh, Daniel, we're running out of time, but thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, the book's called Broken Time. Get, exactly. Yeah, how do people get hold of it? That's the main thing. Uh, you can purchase it on Amazon. Uh, just search for Broken Time. It's available uh, both in um, physical form and on Kindle. Um, just want to say thanks for having me on. It's uh, been great to, to be on the show. I, I listen every week, usually on my way to work. So, uh, yeah, we're a bit different here in myself this week, I think. <laughs> well, should, should you wish a retail outlet? I may know of one. Oh, good. Yes, and uh, I will get you a copy in the post. That's fine. I think you'll find a review of it in the um, December issue of a certain magazine as well. Oh, very nice. Thank you. And I've never been anti-Wigan. I've got like, some of my best friends were Wigan fans. Uh, so I wish you well in 2022, apart from obviously when you play Wakefield. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll catch up with you at some point in the future. Yeah, again, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. 2021, apparently, uh, the year of the robbing. Uh, that's what Dan Crowder is going to tell us, because he is the author of a book. I've got a picture of it in front of me. The Robin Sings Again. The story of Hull Kingston Rovers 2021 season. Robin's, Robin's a back, Dan. You, you know, you finished above Hull, the other Hull, the one you don't talk about. Tony Smith's... <laughs> Great side, they play exciting rugby league. I think things are looking up. 
Definitely, Richard. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I must say it's a crying shame that Sco is not here because I could have given him some stick with him being a black and white and all, but hey, well, Dan, we you, can't you've have only, it all. You've only just learned how to use Zoom. Do you think Sco can use the, you know, the internet? Come on now. No, I, I think I've beat him on that one. <laughs> so, but, um, but yes, the, the book, it is predominantly a bit based on the last season. Now, I feel that it was a real watershed moment in our Colkingston Rovers' history, potentially. Um, but I must say, uh, before anything else, it was always the plan to write the book because I, I was going into the season blind. I'm not Nostradamus, of course. I couldn't foresee what was about to happen. It, of course, it ended up being a successful season, but my plan was always to, uh, to write a, a novel on the, what was then the forthcoming season. This is, this is the... Oh, God, oh sorry, Phil. No, I was going to say, why Why at this time? Because um, I think you'd have got long odds at the start of 2021 that Hull KR would have a story to tell and it would end in the way that it did. Because clearly uh, the COVID year before they'd finished bottom, they'd, they'd tried a lot of young players, which was, which was great. They'd played entertaining rugby. But to, to dedicate yourself to doing a book without knowing what the ending's going to be, there is a potential recipe for disaster there. There was one written on Castleford in the 2017 season. It had to end with victory in the grand final, and it didn't. And that, in a way, detracts from the book. Um, how, how did you decide that this was going to be the year? Well, it was my plan, Phil, to initially to write a decade of books. I mean, my, my love uh, is based upon, of course, I'd love success. That's what we all want in sport, but... My plan was always to document our club's history in the, the best possible way that I can, be it uh, winning or losing. Um, so that, that was always the plan. So it wasn't a, a love of the, the forthcoming season as it was then, like 2021. It was, it was just always the plan. Uh, and as it happened, a lot happened, especially off the field. Uh, so it was, quite, it was a memorable season. And uh, yes, I don't think many people would have expected the club to have, have got as far as they did in the competition in the end. If, if, if I remember rightly now, because obviously I'm not a whole KR fan, so I can't remember everything that's happened, but at the start of the season, wasn't the club up for sale? You know, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, like, that's guess, that's not, right, not, Richard. Not, not, not quite turmoil, but, but not, not, not necessarily the, the, the smoothest of sailing. Well, I mean, I would have to argue that it could have been turmoil. I mean, obviously, since then, we've got the benefit of uh, hindsight now. Hudgel is staying on, thankfully. But uh, with the, the world being infested by the coronavirus at, at the time, uh, who's going to want to buy a, a rugby league club? We, we all know, especially you two, how the sport is being run and uh, how, you know, we're struggling as a game as it is, let alone uh, attracting outside investments. So it was always a worry for us because for as many fans as we got, and without bragging, we have got a lot of fans, without Mr Hudgel's investment, the club uh, would be struggling, you know, to, to put it like they very, very... Uh, likely to be the case anyway obviously we have the odd exceptions of the old Salford in recent years after their investments uh, went away but yes uh, it was very very um uh, what, what could I say dangerous I suppose with uh, Kudjil potentially uh, leaving it was a big and uh, point of consternation within the fan base I must say especially because he's obviously brought a lot of Stability to the club. I'm, I'm going to assume, Dan, because uh, you know the podcast listeners won't be able to see this, but you look young. So I'm going to assume that you don't remember the, uh, even though it's fairly recent in, in you know my life, 97-ish when the club was you know teetering on the edge. As well, you know, both old clubs were in a lot of bother in the late 90s. But 
obviously under Neil Hudgel, the, 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 the scene has been settled for a long time. And I guess it, it must've been, a, you know, di- different. You, you've had re- relegations and promotions, but the club's always been fairly, you know, steady in terms of the way it's been run. Yes, absolutely. Well, I must say, when you did mention 1997 in particular, ironically, the year I was born, but also the year we we almost went out of business as well. All of that is also covered in the book because when, when I'm thinking of dedicating a lot of my time to rugby league literacy, I want to open myself up to other fan, fans of other clubs who may just be interested in the, the tale of the underdog, if you will. So in my talk to them, I do talk in depth about the club's history, all the way from the foundations back in 1882. There's also some social history there with the city of Hull, um, because in the, I mean, in the 1890s, talking about rugby league as a whole, there was the great schism between uh, ourselves as a support and obviously the RFU, but in Hull there was um, somewhat of a schism, I guess, uh, with ourselves and uh, well, Richard, you said yourself, I'm not going to refer to them by name, but that <laughs> lot across the, uh, the river. So th- there's all that covered, and I must say that our history is incredible in the sense that how we survived. Because back in, I'm not going to go on about it too much, but back in the 19th century, there was so many little clubs um, forming in the whole district and. Uh, we broke out of the pack, although Hull FC had dominated since the year 1865. Oops, I mentioned the name. But Hull had dominated since 1865 and we broke out of the pack. And, and all that is in the book, all that history there and how it was formed, how life was like back then in the 19th century, especially in the Hull and the East Hull area, how it developed and then on to the years and the successful years and the not so good years. And then ultimately how we got to that point in 2021 at the start of the book. And of course, playing at the Boulevard, but we won't mention that either. <laughs> the other thing that a great book needs is it needs characters. Um, yes. And in people like Tony Smith, um, Ryan Hall, Jordan Abdul this year, um, not just picking out names above any others because it was a real team effort. Youngsters coming through like Mikey Lewis. You had a rich scene there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a good blend of um, experience and youth. Phil, I think, and it really does actually hark back a little bit to the days when Tony Smith was at Leeds, at Leeds Rhinos, when uh, he won the grand final. Well, then, obviously, not comparing these successes because I can't, but uh, there's uh, there's some similarities there that can be drawn upon, definitely. Uh, there, there is uh, a lot of good players coming through now at the club. You know, it's not just Mikey Lewis who, at first, I mean, a lot of people have forgotten this because of how well Lewis has done, rightfully so, but. He was in and out of the team, which I think you could um, attribute that to Tony Smith's management of him. But we've got we've also got other good young players as well. Uh, Lewis Johnson is somebody that's gone under the radar. Um, Matty Stoughton, a, a back rower, and, and so on. There's a lot of good players at the club right now. You know that that have got the best years ahead of them. Uh, so it is very exciting right now. And as for the the cast of characters that you mentioned in terms of being having importance to the book. Uh, as funny as it is, not just inside the rugby league sphere, but also outside it. Uh, Carl Turner, who's an MP here, he was also a, a character in the book in the sense that when our infamous Elite Academy decision happened, or I, should, I say ours, the RFL's Elite Academy decision had took place, Carl Turner was uh, quite instrumental in speeding up that process, which led to the decision of the RFL uh, handing us a temporary licence, which is still the case now. And I must say it's also 
a cloud that's still hanging over our head even as we speak. But yes, even even characters outside of rugby league, the likes of Turner, uh, are all documented in the book as all well, their contributions um, to to the club. I don't want to talk we, about we, the academies because I'll mention somebody I'm not, I don't yeah. want to mention. <laughs> <laughs> we've um, we've talked about as well the the off field change at Hull KR, which in some ways is indicative of where clubs need to go. Um, I think it's safe to say borrowed a little bit from the Wolfpack experience because Rovers were one of the few teams that got the chance to go out there and and see. But again, as a, as a fan, have you noticed that whilst there was always a great raucous atmosphere when the game was on, that now it extends, you know, maybe a, an hour or two before and an hour after. And, and the game that was in Perpignan, the playoff game, you know, 1,200 people there watching the game on a big screen and having a beer, that, that hasn't happened before. Absolutely, Phil. I must say the I've sampled the Craven Street experience uh, pretty much every time it's happened, and it is fantastic. I mean, with the situation at Craven Park was is that well is that we've got three stands and well four technically, but the the one where Craven Street is wasn't the best to say the least. It was very much a byproduct of the the Graham uh, days. So what we I think we as a club are the people in charge of the club, I think they've done something really well there because it's not just what what it is is <clears throat> sorry is that when when you've got three stands and in those stands people don't always see one another like even if they know one another but they all congregate into that area and like you say Phil with the beer the the concerts uh, that they do the the entertainment and just just talking in general it is genuinely fantastic and I believe that the NFL was also a inspiration behind it because they've got the tailgating tradition of drinking many hours before the, the games there. So that was also behind it, I believe, as well. And then it's great to see a tradition. I know New Craven, New Craven Park, it's not old Craven Park or whatever, but it's good to see a traditional rugby league ground flourish because obviously I populate one which... It's not flourished in recent years, but it's good to see, obviously, Headingley's improved and, and, and on your own way that uh, Craven Park is improving around you as we speak. Absolutely. And I believe that the club uh, have alleged to have plans to redevelop the East Stand as well as the West Stand. Uh, it's been spoken about even by the press, by the club's hierarchy. So I believe that is uh, afoot as well, uh, but we shall see. And I think that's, that's a good idea as well because... When the club did move to Craven Park in 1989, the club was uh, running out of money pretty much. Uh, it very much, I mean, they didn't even have four stands back then in 1989. It was very incomplete, just not quite finished. And the clubs really had to do it tough in that sense. But as the club progressed over the years, the grounds definitely gotten a lot better than what it was before. Not only the stands, but the pitch is uh, magnificent compared to how it used to be as well. So, yes, definitely. I think I think it's a good idea because you've, you've either got the choice of doing what you can with the current ground or just moving to a new one, but the club have decided to stay where they are and um, I think that's got to be commended in a sense. And I'll say this about Wakefield and Castle, and I say about Wakefield before, and, and you've got this advantage as well. At least you have your own home and it is yours and you can do with it as you wish. It, it, it's, you know, for Wakefield and Castle, but it might be a millstone at times, but at least at least your destiny is kind of in your own hands and you can decide when you want to play. And that, that kind of thing is a bit of an advantage these days. Yes, unlike some, maybe even across the river, but 
I must say, Richard, not to, to, to get in your good books, I am a stickler for Bellevue. I absolutely love that ground. It's, uh, it has that appeal, definitely. It's a working museum. It's like Beamish. That's what I want to say. <laughs> you want to go and see where a 1963 film was uh, was shot in its um, almost pristine state from then. That's the place for you. I can remember, I think, one of the worst games of rugby league I've ever seen uh, at New Craven Park and possibly been the coldest I've ever been, a 2-0 win over York. Uh, was that a, a drop goal win? Was it a two drop goals? No, or was it, it, a goal it was one penalty. And One penalty. Yeah. The wind was howling off the North Sea. It was before the stand had been built at the other end, so it just came straight through the stands. And uh, it was uh, it was winter rugby at its worst. Wow. That's something. I mean, the, the film you was referring to, was that the one with Richard Harris in it by any chance? It sounds that's, familiar. That's the one. That's the one. Right. Yes. Excellent. Worth a watch, but you will recognise Bellevue as you see it today. I think Queen Victoria would have recognised Bellevue, wouldn't she? She'd recognise the gents. Yeah. Well, she wouldn't have been able <laughs> to use the ladies. <laughs> Obviously, you're coming out, as Phil mentioned, 2020 wasn't a great season. 2021 has been one of success. How do you capitalise that on that in 2022? I think that the club has to manage expectations, which is easier said than done. It's a big club. There's a lot of expectation, actually. But when you do hit the heights in one season, you're expected to do it again. And that's going to be tough. But I think that they've got the, the side to do it. So in answering your question, I think that hitting the playoffs again has got to be the, uh, the target for next season. Definitely. You've got to build and build. You can't. I mean, I think if the club finished, for instance, just outside the playoffs next season, I think there would be some grumbling, but you, you've you got to look at it. Um, comparatively speaking, we've been so poor for the past five years. We were the first club to fall through the million-pound game trap door and we've got ourselves back. But since then, it's been it's still been rather poor in the whole. So I think you've got to be realistic. And uh, I think targeting the playoffs next season is the the goal that they will be looking for. As you've mentioned it, that, that million pound game. Yes. What was We're going, going through, to talk. <laughs> what, what was going through your mind? Because I was having to listen to the radio commentary because I was away from the TV and I was listening to, to Scoey and, and Craig Murdoch obviously used to wear the, the red and white of, of Hull. It is red and white. It's not some kind of wacky shade. I've got, not got this wrong. I like when I said Huns that wore green and orange, I, I can't get in trouble with. You know, it's not no, you're, you're, right. <laughs> you're correct. Um, and having watched the highlights, it makes you think, why don't you just, why don't you just give away a penalty? What are you doing? Right. What was going through your mind at that moment? And, and you know, at least as, as we know now, there's a, there's a happy end to this story. It's not, it's not a sad ending. Absolutely. Do something. That was what I was thinking. <laughs> just do something. And they didn't. And I'll, I'll tell you what, Richard, there was a game this year, and you're going to like this because we beat Castleford. And... It was towards the end of the game. It was really fiercely contested between the two sides. And and Corbin Sims, who was a pantomime villain with a Castleford fan, so you might even like him more now, he held down a Castleford player towards the, uh, the back end of the game when there was on our line to potentially steal the game from us. And, of course, he, he was sin binned and rightfully so, but it's that game management, that astuteness, and that's what they was uh, severely lacking back in 2016. And as we saw, it cost us big time. 
I think we'd rather be in whole KR shoes than solvent shoes, though. Now that's that's the uh, that's the main that's the main thing. Yes, sport really does change in such a short space of time. I mean, I know when you're epilogue, you start to look forward to is this sustainable? But clearly, one thing that is always difficult when a team achieves well in one year is that um, coaches spend a lot of time in their off season planning for how they're going to play you. Um, and it's very rare that you can replicate a way that you've played one year and it be successful in a second year. But what? How do you think that, that Rovers need to approach 2022? Because they've got this reputation for being the entertainers. They love playing rugby. It's Tony Smith's philosophy is if you see it and it's there, go for it. And, you know, there's a particular Mikey Lewis try towards the end of last season that emphasised that more than anything else. But is that going to be enough? The way, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a leaf from Phil Clark's book and I'm going to compare rugby league to football in the situations, <laughs> as he often does it, Phil. Um, so uh, I remember there was a game, I don't remember at the time because I'm only young, but in 1999 when um, Leeds United played Watford, there was a game where Leeds um, tore them apart and Graham Taylor was interviewed after it and he, and he said, well, when you play plan to prepare to play Leeds, you try and mark Q out the game and Hasselbank out the game. But the thing is, they've got that many weapons there that you can't do it all. And that's how good teams ultimately come on top because they've just got too much. Now, I see some similarities with Rovers in terms of the halves are, are strong now. And also the left edge, especially uh, with Sean Kenny, Dowell and Ryan Hall, of course, despite it ageing, in the present time, it is one of the deadliest uh, left edges in the entire division. So so we've got that. There's, there's two there. I definitely think that the club has to strengthen in the forwards to match every single team. If we want to become a, a true superpower again, then we need to match teams in the forwards more. And, and I felt that we made progress last year in that sense, but it wasn't quite up there with the, the Wig, uh, not Wigan, sorry, the, the St. Helens of the world. Sorry, Wigan fans. <laughs> Just, uh, but yes. Uh, Saints are the benchmark, aren't they, that everyone needs yes. to be chasing down. That was a bad mix-up there. I don't <laughs> think Wigan fans would appreciate that one, but uh, yes. I mean, obviously, you, you want to be as successful as possible. One thing that strikes me from the outside of, you know, Scoey or, or Craig Murdoch would say that the bubble in, in rugby league in Hull is the is the rivalry between the two clubs. Is there too much emphasis put on that? You know, yeah, you finished above them last year, but you've mentioned you want to be in the playoffs. It, it, does it matter what happens with the other lot? Do you do people think about that too much more than success for your own side? Definitely, and I, I think they do think of it too much, Richard. I think it happens on both ends as well. I've been coming out of games and I've heard, oh, well, at least Hull got beat, and this is um, after we've been beat, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking to myself, well, who cares about what Hull FC are doing? We, you know, we, we need to concentrate on ourselves. I mean, as for your other question about how the, the fortunes and how, how we feel about them, well, it depends on how bitter one is, you know, if you want to see them crash and burn and go into liquidation. Some definitely will. And, and some want both to do well and compete. But the general consensus is we always want to be above them if, if we both do well. Which leads on to another question now that the fixtures are out. Um, clearly, are we playing the derby 
too often. I mean, it means everything to the people on both sides of the city. It's the neutral game that the rest of us want to just sit back in an armchair with a beer and watch two sides cream the hell out of each other. Um, but if you do it too often, does it lose its edge even as a as a Rovers fan? Would you rather they weren't playing at Magic Weekend and pre-season and two league games, a potential cup tie, maybe a playoff at the end of the season? You, you could face each other for a quarter of the season effectively. Yes, I think so, Richard. Uh, sorry, Phil. I think they do play each other too many, too many times. However, I did think to myself at one point, what if both teams were really at the top of the game again, like they were at the start of the 80s? You know, then it would be a real monumentous occasion almost every time you'd like to feel. And then when you think back to the 80s again, there was playing so many games against one another, whether it be the, the league, the Challenge Cup, the Yorkshire Cup, the John Player, and nobody really seemed to complain then. And, and the, the gates men, many times were better than what they are now. So it's really a tough one to gauge, that I feel. When we look at, when we reflect upon history, which is the good yardstick to use, I feel, in these situations. So it, it is a tough one to gauge. But um, definitely in recent years, because I must hand it to them, that they've handed it to us. So we've not wanted to, we've wanted to avoid them. And generally speaking, uh, whole derbies are tough games as, as well. So I must uh, mention something, if I can, is that not only do we play Hull on a Good Friday, but we also play Toulouse away on the Monday, the following Monday. And that is absolutely outrageous, I think, you know, what the club's got to, to go through there. It's not uh, moving back to a third. Why don't play on a Thursday night, the, the whole derby? They've done that before. I'm sure I covered one on the radio a, a few years ago on a, a Thursday night. Yes, I, I believe they have in the past. Yeah, and that would be a good idea in that situation. You could make it work because on that week, there is actually Thursday fixtures. So that, that would be an idea. But um, no, it's not. There's no dice, basically. And uh, it's going to be it, uh, two, two games. It's on Sky, that's why. Right, yes. And I think they've chosen other games, haven't they, on the Thursday to, yeah. to place them on Sky instead of us. And they've just yeah. kept tradition, the, the Good Friday whole tradition. So, so, so in terms of um, being realistic, which you mentioned, at what point last season did you think this one might be a bit special? Because you, you're chronicling it, you, 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 you know, adding material after every week and, and and suddenly you're thinking we might make the playoffs or we might get to a grand final or you know maybe this is our year to win the the, the challenge cup which which it wasn't but you you at what point did you think this has turned around this this could be um exactly the right year to be penning the fortunes of the team yes there was one moment where i had goosebumps literally because and it was close when we beat Warrington. And I, and I thought to myself, we are only one game away from Old Trafford. It was that real. Uh, after such a poor year in 2020 as well, to suddenly turn it around. Because I know you did say that we played um, good rugby, and that, that is true. But by the end of 2020, the performances were so disjointed and poor. And, you know, that's why you wouldn't really expect us to get so far in the season that's just been. So, yes, the, the, the moment was when we beat Warrington, for sure. But uh, as for the playoffs, yes, it was a real um, topsy-turvy type affair with getting in the playoffs. It wasn't always a, a guarantee. And the, But then once we got there, we, we played Warrington and 
nobody really gave us a chance, including uh, our own supporter base. And, and when we did beat them, it was a, a huge shock for the division. And then, and that's that's when you go to Catalans, who were beating you three times already. And there is that story: is there going to be a fourth time lucky or, or not? So. Yes, there's always that where you start to wonder this could be the ideal time to write the book. You know, in terms of like marketing and the success of it, definitely. So it's the plan to write one every season then now. And it, how many more Robins-based puns can you think of? That's the other thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm planning to uh, to base it on, on that name all the way through. I'm, I must thank Phil himself, Phil Kaplan himself, for uh, suggesting that name for me as well, by the way, whilst we're on the air. So thank you, Phil, for that. But yes, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about that. But in terms of writing the books, I'm planning to do it every year, yes, because it's like I said at the beginning, I want to document this club's history. And unfortunately, I feel from a club point of view, literacy is lacking um, game-wide, really, um, for, for clubs, uh, individual clubs, uh, let alone when they've not won anything like we haven't. But, you know, just, just generally speaking. So I, I do want to cover it if, if, I, if I can. And that, that definitely is the plan because I feel it's a historical resource for generations to come. Because if you go back, let's say, into the 1920s, which was ironically Rovers' its uh, second uh, golden era prior to the, to the one we all know, the 80s, uh, there's no real social documentation how it was going to the games uh, aside from newspapers reports, there's no real descriptions of players and, and things like that. So it, it's very unique in that sense, I feel, what I've done. And people can look back in 100 years' time and think what we were doing, and, and that's important. Um, Definitely. You, you've gone through a rebrand. You're, you're wearing the old gear there, but you, you've got an exciting new badge. I've, I've just been onto the Super League uh, media portal to download it so I can use it on our stuff for next season. An exciting new away kit. New home kit, which has divided opinion. How, how happy are you with the way the, the club is being pushed in, in that sense as a, a kind of exciting new, new, new branding? I'm slowly getting accustomed to it. Um, at first, I wasn't sure. I didn't dislike it. I didn't like it. And whether that's a good thing or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But I'm getting used to it. And I think a lot of people will. Uh, like you say, Richard, it divided opinion. I understand the club's reasons for doing it, and I believe that the uh, Sky Sports also had a, something to uh, to do with it as well, and, and that's fair enough. They do wear uh, back our game. Uh, I think it's important that the club felt comfortable enough, uh, and I must not spoil the book or anything, but I must um, draw a comparison. I really appreciated how headstrong the club was with the decision, and again, uh, sorry for the comparison with Leeds United, but I am I am a fan. But when they brought out that that badge, <laughs> we all know what badge it was, that disastrous one. Within around six hours, it was totally gone. They pulled the, the plug on it. So with Rovers, they had a similar reaction from some of the fans. Some of the fans actually felt that it was worse than Leeds United's attempt. Uh, I would disagree with that personally, but that's what some people felt. So th- they were definitely strong-minded to stick with it and within hours there was a um, I believe 25 range of merchandise out there to, to purchase so there was confident in in the direction they were going in we had a cartoon cat for 20 years you know we, we, you know I can't I can't say that whole chaos exciting new badges is, is, is rubbish no I, I quite like the new uh, 
the new brand. It's very, very modern, very modern. And and I guess that's the way that the club is looking at them. It, it's, it's, as you say, forward thinking, forward looking. Absolutely. And very difficult. Absolutely, Phil. I believe our... For a new market. Yes, Absolutely. Our head of media and communications described our old badge uh, as analog in a digital world, and that's so true because the world is changing now. It is so digital. I mean, we're all on a Zoom call tonight, and that's just how the, the world has changed. And the world's changed a lot since 1948 when that badge was first introduced. So, I think it's a it's an important move. It's not going to be popular, but the it might bear fruit in years to come. Definitely. As, as we uh, run out of time, have you gone analogue in a digital world, Phil? You seem to have... Uh, I think Phil's frozen. Have I? I oh, no, you're back. You're back. Have you got any last, uh, last thoughts on I'm still here. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I, I, for all the talk of an analogue world, I just hope that the printed word uh, stands the test of time. Clearly, you must do as, as well because you've taken on this task of writing a book. Um, um, you know, where can people get hold of it and um, and how can they follow your progress? Absolutely. So the book is available on Amazon. It's priced at $6.99 uh, for the paperback version and it's priced at $3.99 for the Kindle version. So if you just search The Robin Sings Again, or The Robin Sings Again, Hawkeye, then you'll be able to find it. Is that, is that come on the camera? <laughs> yeah, we can see it. Great. Um, so... Yeah, I feel that it's a great read, not just for Hulk AR fans, but for anybody who loves the the underdog. And, and there's also the, the winds of change are blowing, I feel, as well. And I think it's going to be a real interesting read for the neutral because I've really planned it meticulously on how much I've gone into detail on things. And uh, I think people will appreciate that when they read it. Uh, so, yes, I feel that it's a good read. A good stocking filler as well, especially for the, uh, the KR fans out there. It's, yes. And if, and if you know any Hull FC fans, you, get, you can send it to them as well. Because you know, well, every, every book sale counts. <laughs> yes, and they might have relatives because that is often the case here with split families. I should know I'm from one, so yes. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for your time. Uh, best of luck with the book. And uh, I guess we'll speak to you next year and uh, about, about the next book and, and about how 2022 has been an even better year for Hull KO. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Where do we start? Ben Baker, uh, man of Keesley. That's, I mean, that's me. I, I've had a look on uh, Wikipedia. You're not on there as one of the famous people from Keesley, which, you know, no, why have you edited no. that for a start? No, uh, Alistair Campbell. Yep. Uh, he's on there. Molly Sugden. Uh, Chewbacca lived here for a bit when, you know, the career went a bit. South, <laughs> but then, but then they, they made some new Star Wars films, and he was out of here as quick as possible. You know, he couldn't wait to get out straight I mean, on that Millennium Falcon out. <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm bitter that I'm not on my school's Wikipedia alumni page, but uh, no, I am. I am, in fact, a, a very bitter person. But it shouldn't be bitter because <laughs> it's Christmas. We can tell it's because hey, we're both wearing Christmas jumpers. I've got a, a Christmas tree box behind me. Um, I, I, I've got a Christmas box as well. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Frank Sidebottom's behind you as well, which is always great. He is. He is. He's, all, he's always with me in spirit. You know he is. He really is. 
Thank you. And there's some books there. I just happen to have these books uh, here. Oh, well, they do appear to be by me, but you know that's <laughs> you know that's that's by the by. I tried to do the BBC News thing where someone's in front of a bookshelf, but I have three bookshelves in different corners, and I wasn't going to stick them together for the sake of this. So I think it's bad enough you have to see my face. So just try and look at the the calming white around me and imagine Narnia. It's more than fair. Um, as someone who's tried to write a book uh, about a million times since the age of uh, eighteen. How do you do it? How, how, do you, how do you write a book? You've got loads of it now. <laughs> you, you look at your bank balance and go, uh, yeah, probably, probably should do something soon. <laughs> no, I, the thing about writing is, for me, like I've written a bunch of Christmas TV books, This I was, which we're, we're going to come on to the, the, the new one at the moment. But that's kind of easy because it offers the framework for you. For example, I wrote a book about Christmas TV in the 80s. So I went through all the 80s radio and TV times and pulled out all the sort of things that looked weird, interesting, try to find as much of it as possible to watch. So that kind of offered a framework to do that with. I think it's a lot more difficult if you don't... Uh, if you don't have a target, I guess. And it does help as well if you set yourself a target of bring it out for Christmas because then you have to write it and bring it out for Christmas. I mean, not, not only have I got your Christmas uh, box, but I've got one of your quiz books as well, which are absolutely superb. Oh, yeah. And, and if anyone uh, uh, wants something to... Because Skype and Zoom quizzes, you know, we've been doing them for 18 well, months yeah. now. And, and yeah. fast running out of ideas and... So much so we've been playing old DVD games, which I mean buying from charity shops for 10p. So uh, at least oh, like, yeah. yeah. Telly addicts one and all that sort of yes. thing. Yes. They think oh, it's all over yeah. with some very uh not quite not quite uh not quite on colour, <laughs> which I guess you know it, your book is full of these. This is Ben Baker's Christmas box. It is your it latest is. 40 years of it the is. best, worst, and weirdest Christmas TV. Join Ben Baker for a rustle through a selection box of star shows, cliches and one-offs. That made up the 20th century Christmas TV experience, and it goes on there and mentions lots of other things. Yeah, it does, does. And there's my face as well. <laughs> it's just, just, just as proof, you know, in case I don't take my passport anywhere, you know, I could just say, oh, no, look. I mean, we are, we are the same age, uh, and I am, a, I am a child who was obsessed with television, which I am assuming that you were as well. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing, definitely. Because uh, I've written books about specific eras of Christmas TV, and this one is a kind of bringing all of them together in stories, sort of like looking at threads of various like genres and like stuff like why is Noel Edmonds so <laughs> connected to the Christmas experience and stuff. And yeah, it does come from that very much uh, telly was always on at Christmas sort of thing. And, you know, everyone's got that experience, I think. Uh, and if you don't, I'm really sad that you didn't have a red pen, a radio times, and you went to town on that. Even now, when there's like, what, three and a half things to watch, you know. <laughs> in fact, most of it seems to be radio that I end up ringing these days because I am 40. <laughs> I love the fact that it's still a thing. Like, Christmas TV is still important in this country. Like, people still clamour to see what the schedule is. And then they invariably go, ah, there's too many Shreks and Gruffalos, defund the BBC, set fire to the big British castle, and all that sort of thing, you know. But we still have that impetus, we still have that desire to actually sort of, to know what's there. It's comforting. And I think people go, oh, no, not X, Y, and Z again, you know. But really, 
they are the building blocks of sort of a British Christmas TV and a British Christmas in general. Uh, even now, it's like um, I, I go to a friend's house for Christmas and their parents are there and they won't be watching BBC One or ITV. They'll be watching like Storage Wars or something. <laughs> you know? and, and, and we shouldn't fall into that trap of thinking that everything was great in the olden days and everything on TV not today is rubbish because there's a lot of rubbish on TV since, well, they invented the thing. Well, yeah, and I've sort of I tried to do that with this book, basically, with sort of uh, I'm looking down because it's that. <laughs> yeah, it's like telly is always a weird thing at Christmas because one, you get them kind of looser time slots and schedules and stuff, so everything's kind of a bit more mixed up, uh, which obviously didn't used to be much of a thing when things started in like 1976 at 6:42 p.m. and stuff like that. But now, obviously, we're very used to regimented schedules. And all that sort of thing. And also, uh, remit filling, operas, <laughs> all that kind of arts programming. And they go, oh, they've got to fill it. But, oh, Christmas, put all on Christmas. So you get some really weird stuff, you know, and you get some absolutely atrocious stuff as well. And to be honest, I think now, I think telly's a lot more boring, but it's probably a lot more consistent. <laughs> Boring. That's, that's a good. I mean, you say the best, worst, and weird. What, what's the weirdest thing then you've you've discovered in in researching these books? Ah, uh, I mean, I certainly feel the Kid Creole and the Coconuts musical. There's something wrong in Paradise. Takes a real beating. A two-hour Hollywood-style blockbuster about racism on a small island, but done in a Granada studio. <laughs> <laughs> With Kid Crow and the Coconuts. I mean, that went out ITV, 10pm on a Saturday night just before Christmas. And you just think, that's not happening now. You know, no no one's offering that slot to, I don't know, who is a pop star now? So- Sausage Rolls man. The- Sausage <laughs> Rolls fella. He's not getting his own two-hour Christmas spectacular, is he? I mean, it's quite a surprise, actually, because, you know, he's very popular on the YouTube. You know, why is, why is there not a lad baby Christmas? But have ITV not, not discovered him or something? Because, because he doesn't need it. That's it. YouTube's going to offer him way more exposure now, I think, for the, the right audience, you know, the, the the audience that, you know, he actually wants and wants him. So why would he bother with TV? That's the whole thing. With this book, it's also it's about the compromise of Christmas, I guess, because we're all sort of it's one of the few times we do all get together still, and I think that's why last year, you know, being sort of stuck on Zoom calls and everything like that, we realised kind of how how nice it was, even though it's deeply, deeply irritated when you know there's a <laughs> elderly relative waffling through. Well, at least Doctor Who's not Christmas Day now because that was the worst <laughs> one, but you know, it's kind of you know, that kind of experience where we're all together and you all kind of have to make a compromise of what to watch. And so invariably, it's it's the path of least resistance, I guess. It's like, oh, well, the chase is on. We could watch the chase. Nobody dislikes the chase. And I think that's what ITV are thinking now because basically, you know, last couple of years, they've basically gone, hey, let's just do what we normally do. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, they showed... Good morning, Britain. This morning, loose women. Same again this year, uh, and then yeah, basically soaps, chase, tipping point, probably terrible. You know, it's just like eh, they don't bother. They don't, they're not bombs. There's, there's no Gordon Ramsay's bank balance Christmas special on BBC One, is there? Because I'm looking forward to that if there is. You know what? 
I, I could imagine they've they've filmed that back in summer <laughs> and then shot it into space just to make sure on the off chance it never gets shown accidentally. Uh, you can add to that as well. Ch- Craig Charles has got a game show now uh, on Channel 4 called, I think it's called Money Bags. And, you know, you look at Craig Charles and you think, game show host, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and so, yeah, that it's... What, 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 television that... is still capable of being baffling. But... <laughs> What's that bloody awful virtual reality thing called that he presented? Remember the early days of Cyberzone. Cyberzone. Like that that's a that it, you could not get a more early nineties TV program. No, basically, basically virtual reality gladiators, I guess, is, that was kind of the uh general idea with that. So before Robot Wars made it actually sort of tangible. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know if there ever was a Robot Wars Christmas special. But I, w- I hope there was, and I hope that they put little beards on <laughs> to kill a lot. And <laughs> so put some tinsel on Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I, the, the problem with the chase is, <clears throat> it's not a problem with the chase, because the, the chase is great. Everyone loves the chase. The, the only difference between the chase Christmas celebrity special and normal chase Christmas celebrity, uh, non-Christmas celebrity special, is that they'll get the vixen dressed up as uh, a pantomime dame or something. Uh, and yeah, because yeah, there's so many, because there's it. so many celebrity specials throughout the year. I, mean, I do like it when you stick challenge on randomly, and it's a uh, Family Fortunes Christmas special, and they <laughs> announce everyone's in panto at the end. They don't do that anymore. They don't say Sam from no, Sam and no, you don't get... or Wakefield. No, no, they don't. And I think that must have been like a uh, an agreement with the like equity or something like that back then. But it, it was a nice sort of feeling of you know these people exist in the telly. It's like, I suppose that's another thing we've lost with like social media and everything. You can just go on and tell anybody you know if they're on Twitter how much you hate them. <laughs> they will go, oh, blocked. Uh, but you can tell them that before people exist. I, again, as you said, not a rose tinted glasses thing, but stars were stars, mm. you know, in the sort of 70s, 80s. You know, you did have people like Brucey, Bob Monkhouse. Uh, Scylla, I suppose, you know. <laughs> you know, you got all these people who everybody knew. And I don't know if everyone does know people now. I don't know. No, I mean, although, judging by, and, and I have no recollection of this whatsoever, so I'm going purely on uh, the book here. Gladiators, celebrities versus jockeys. I have no recollection <laughs> of this whatsoever. Well, and that does feature Bradley Walsh. Because <laughs> uh, people forget Bradley Walsh has been he kicking was... around for a long time. Uh, I think he did like Des O'Connor in like 87 or something. But yeah, that, that's a weird one because it's like celebrities versus jockeys. So if I was a jockey, I'd already be feeling pissed off that I'm apparently not a celebrity. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you just get these. But I mean, the, the lineup on that one in particular, you've got like uh, the, the late Mark Spate who obviously a lot of people know from of a certain age from like smart and stuff like that but he was doing scratchy and co on itv at the time where you had kind of like a max headroom kind of thing with his like fake wig and stuff and he sort of kept jumping between that character and being himself and oh it's a strange thing on orica it's 97 so it's just after shooting stars has really hit big you know it was one of the biggest things on telly at the time and she could not give a damn about <laughs> being there at all. She does not want to be there. And it's just after John Fashionu was done for the, 
Well, it, was, it, it ended up being innocent. Well, it yeah. was cleared of the max fi- match fixing thing that got Grobbler and all that sort of thing. But he's not on it as a result. So it's just this strange mix of things. And it sort of goes to prove that not every show was worthy of sticking the word Christmas in the title. You know, some things are just like, no, nah, it's not. It's not is, I'm glad they tried, but... It's now reminding me that Ice Warriors was a thing. And that, I don't think that got a Christmas special <laughs> because, because no one remembers Ice Warriors at all. Which, which not is, even which is John Leslie. <laughs> and he hosted it. So, you know, I wasn't just saying that because it was a random name. Well, no, you know, no. let's be honest. <laughs> Let, let's not go there. <laughs> we need to reappraise a couple of people because social media, well, I don't know if social media necessarily, but Lenny Henry has a, a reputation of not being funny, which is obviously not true. And the book has plenty of recollections of him being on telly as, as a Christmas star, starting ridiculously with the Black and White Minstrel Show. Well, yeah, and if you read his fantastic autobiography, Who Am I Again, he talks in great detail about sort of his first, say, like 18, up to back tis was, really. And, yeah, he gets sort of signed up by a well-meaning but wrong manager because, basically, at that point, the Black and White Minstrel Straw, for those who don't know, it was a, a, just a normal song and dance kind of variety show with blackface. And, you know, by sort of the late 70s when Lenny Henry joined, obviously it was it was definitely an anachronism. You know, this is this is an era of punk uh, have <laughs> happened and stuff, that, and not on telly particularly much, unless you're Bill Grundy, I guess. But he, he was added in to show, hey, we're not racist, here's a person of colour. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. But then, yeah, I've done a whole chapter, basically, because he's on Christmas TV pretty much consistently up to the sort of mid-2000s when obviously he took a bit more of a break to do the acting thing, you know, and I think people forget that. And Of course, unless you type in, I like Lady Henry on Twitter, then a thousand people randomly, for no reason, uh, decide to tell you how unfunny he is. And it's nothing to do with anything else. He's just unfunny. He's just an unfunny man, apparently. Now, now so what... Where do we stand on Noel Edmonton? Because he was, as you say, Mr. Christmas TV throughout the 80s, into the 90s. <laughs> Telecom Tower, we're all big fans. All the keys, speaking of the crankies on a plane, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now he's, you know, uh, and, and now he, he is what he is, unfortunately. He is a lunatic. <laughs> but he's a great telly host. I think, we're, I think again, it's like that. Can you listen to the Smiths, even though Morrissey is a horrendous, horrendous person? Can you watch Telly Addicts, knowing that the host <laughs> is a bit, thinks he can cure cancer with his mind? You know, I'm not sure. But you've got to admire, looking back, a lot of these are on YouTube now. Not all of them, but certainly I wrote a chapter about Noel Edmonds at Christmas because he's sort of there uh, for Top of the Pops in the 70s, like he's usually the host of the Christmas Top of the Pops. And then he does a few other bits with Swap Shop. But then, as you say, up the telecom tower from 1984, they start doing these live spectaculars, doing OBs around the world. And they sort of, they, they slowly build them up. I think the 1985 one is the biggest because they not only do they launch Comic Relief on it, which nobody remembers that now, but, you know, you've got, like, OBs all around. So they go to Africa to, like, launch Comic Relief and all that sort of thing. And you've got... 
the crankies and Gary Davis watching on in horror as Fergal Sharky tries to mime you little thief, uh, you know, on Concord. And it's a clip that's been pulled out a lot, uh, but with very little context, you know. And that's, that happened for a few years, and that was always an interesting thing. And it got a bit earlier because they decided to link up with Australia and other places, you know, show it live over there. So it was a really big deal. And then, obviously, there was a little bit of an incident that occurred uh, in his career in, in 1986 uh, where a man died. And not on the Christmas show, but they still went ahead with it. You know, and you've got to imagine like that must have been that was like five weeks after as well, yeah. so that must have been insane. And yeah, then he does uh, Noel's Christmas presents for another decade, which was you, you know you kind of schmaltz but well-meaning schmaltz. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Noel's uh, fa- what was it? Noel's family. Telly accidents. I can't remember exactly what the what the quote is now, uh, but from bottom, he uh, said. Uh, but it's now's Christmas video family accidents. So, <laughs> yeah. So there, yeah, Noel Edmonds. I don't know. I, I think if he was on this year at half eleven, probably not at the Telecom Tower. I don't know if they do that thing something anymore. The BT Tower now as it is, you'd watch it, wouldn't you? Because yes. Because you don't think because it's something yeah. weird might happen. Someone from the bill might knock on the door or something, though. Yeah, it's the liveness of it. I think you're you you're missing with a lot of Christmas TV. But then again, as I said, this morning will be on, so who knows? Maybe Mr. Blobby will turn up there. <laughs> Maybe Phil and Holly will turn up drunk or after oh no, it's not an awards thing. So uh, I don't I think I'll be watching. What, what, no, no, that's just it. There's no because it's just another edition of a thing that exists already whereas christmas was a place where you got these once a year things that's why the mark and wise christmas shows are such a you know such a beloved thing because eventually they were doing series but eventually they kind of filtered out a bit because they wanted to focus in on the christmas special and they would be working on that for months and months and months you know and that's why they stand up so well i think you know but one of the things that has stood out in this, uh, and, it, and it's something I have no recollection of whatsoever, which is bizarre, because I was a big fan of them. Uh, may, might be because of the time it was on. The Bewitched Christmas Special. That was a huge <laughs> back in 1999, which I don't, I don't know many... Uh, well, a friend of mine definitely was. So there's two of us in Wake. We were 18-year-old boys, so, you know... It's all right then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Emotions, feelings. <laughs> I, I've, I've got a Bewitched video somewhere on VHS, uh, <laughs> but I have no recollection of this programme whatsoever. And it's easy. Well, it's, it's like, it's like uh, what was it? Here, here. What's, what was the Here, Say It Saturday. Thing? That's the one. Here, Say It Saturday, yeah, where they try to go, hey, let's give them a variety show because oh, they're very popular. And it turns out they weren't that popular at all, you know. Yeah, the, the Bewitched thing is sort of aired at like 9.25am, so on like December 28th or something. I can't remember the exact date, but basically it was one of those filler things. And I'd like, I added that in because I've, do, I've done a section about pop music other than Top of the Pops at Christmas, because obviously there's a lot of music at Christmas. And that's kind of the end of it, really, because at 1999 is kind of where I end the book. Because I think things change after that. It's too hard to track and there's satellite and everything. And no one's having the same experience like they used to do. 
And the Bewitched special is weird because they were massive, weren't they? Obviously, they were. They had four number ones in a very short space of time, like nine months, maybe, if that. And they went to America. Did you know they had a top ten hit in America? Well, was it Roller Coaster? No, it was Sailor V. Mm. Although Roller Coaster is my favourite, personally. I, I mean, my, my all-time favourite is Blame It on the Weatherman, because I think that's just an awesome song it's in and of itself. But there is, I think there is yeah, video evidence that. somewhere of me and our, um, some friends doing the Roller Coaster dance somewhere. So I, <laughs> I'm hoping that never... And this is the days before camera phones, so it's probably on a VHS tape somewhere long lost. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. But that, that's a fascinating document in itself, because basically it's like... Christmas, so they brought big mid-98. Mid this is Christmas 99, and they are knackered. You can tell they have lost all love for the uh, industry. Absolutely. They've just been on a a constant rotation because they were trying to break America. And, you know, they did solve, but, you know, you think that they sort of come on the heels of the Spice Girls, who got a, basically Christmas 96 and Christmas 97, ITV show at a Christmas, uh, well, a non-Christmas, a Spice Girls concert at Christmas, because why not? <laughs> the biggest thing in the world, you know. And you didn't get that for uh, menswear, was the shame, <laughs> <laughs> which I would, have, I would have liked that, you know. I'll manage somehow with kids around, sat around, you know. I would have loved that. It would have been great. <laughs> you mentioned, obviously, now satellite TV, cable, there's Netflix around it whatever they put on and obviously there will be people who just sit down and watch whatever's on BBC one on Christmas day, which, you know, will get no doubt lots of views, but things have changed. We, 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 we can remember the past, but it's not going to be the same going forward, is it? Because there are so many options. No, now. no, no. I, I still, obviously, I mean, you still get like, I think last year was it like 9 million was like the, the, the most watched thing. And that would have been, that was EastEnders. That sort of thing, and you know, you've had Mrs. Brown's boys and Call the Midwife and uh, come to, strictly come dancing and that sort of thing. You know, it's been a fairly consistent uh schedule the last decade or so, and people don't like that, but I think that's kind of what it should be because Christmas Day is a day the telly's on, but you can't really concentrate on it unless you're on your own, you know. So, you, you do have a you know, an archetype thing, you know, there's going to be a Pixar on at 10 past three. You know there's going to be a half-hour animated story about a, uh, a piece of sentient mould called Flemp or something like that, you know? It's like is that, is that by David Williams or something? <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably, or Julia Donaldson. You know, and then you'll get your, you'll get your, your Strictly and you'll get your, uh, sort of where you used to get Doctor Who. Now, I mean, it was the, the Wheel last year got a Christmas... Uh, transfer, which was interesting, because I quite like the wheel, even though Michael McIntyre, like most people, might. He's all right. He's, he's, yeah, he's, 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 he's there. Yeah, he's yeah. there. He's got he's got good genes in him. I'll <laughs> say that, considering his dad was, you know, one of Kenny Everett, who is one of my heroes and up there somewhere, uh, one of his main writers. But yeah, it, and that and ITV, as I said, just pretty much opted out. <laughs> no, they just it's like, it's like when the World Cup's on, they just might as well just no, I'm just gonna bother. Although I am well, one yeah, of the, I am like... the person who will watch the Euro final on ITV because I am just that way out, but you know. Really? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why it doesn't bother me at all either way, but I do I do know people very much I, I 
I've been told there are households of people who weren't allowed to watch ITV. It was common, but I'm very common. <laughs> so, uh, I'm from Keighley. Who goes? Uh, I'm in Cougar Colours. I'm going to say, yeah, it's, it's but, very Quite, uh, quite very by chance. Yeah. If you ever want to talk about Nick Pinkney, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not. I was there when we beat Batley in 93. <laughs> Good Friday. Pouring down my head. Joe Grimmer sent off. I, I, I was there. I was the there. Never need any of that. Well, it was for Keithley, certainly. <laughs> until, Bradford, <laughs> until Bradford ripped you off. And, uh, you know. Bradford Northern? Bradford Northern. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah we, they were no until we were Cougars. And then <laughs> everyone did. It, it's true, to be fair. Cougars were the first kind of to have that kind of... And I think it was a competition in the Keithley News. Someone like, some kid came up with a name. And people really got behind them that season. Uh, understandably, because we were we were very good, and then very much like Ebenezer Scrooge, Morris Lindsay came along. What's it saying? Uh, ruined, ruined it. Ruined Merry Christmas, own. everyone, to all except Morris Lindsay. It says there in the book. Um, I, I, that's basically in case you're wondering why I'm on a rugby based podcast. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the rugby part. Although I'm, I'm highly amused. Obviously, the kid who won the competition never knew. That in 2021 or whenever, uh, Keith would have a women's team, which is now called the Keith the Cougars, which is brilliant because no one could have foreseen what the word Cougar would have meant and, and how brilliant no. a, a name that is. Well, yeah, I suppose it has a, a it's a multifaceted kind of title, but I mean, we were so into it at the time. My dad actually got the Cougars a decal put on the side of the car, St. Cougars <laughs> with the uh, with the logo, and he used to pick me up from school. He's like, no. No, please don't. Please don't. Because I loved them, but you know, I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want that. And we were friendly with some of them. And they'd come to school and they 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 teach us like the basics. And I were okay at rugby because look at me, I'm a stocky kid, you know. <laughs> well, if you can see, uh, I am a, I am a stocky lad and I was good at it, but I refused to take my glasses off. And ah. apparently some of the players were very bemused because <laughs> I could have played rugby, but I didn't because I didn't want to take my glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've made some interesting backroom signings. They're on the way back up, the Cougars, and you know, who they're always on the way back up. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> you know, the problem is ultimately we, we got rejected in the nineties because we didn't have a massive ground or anything. Because it is, it's a big, small town. There's a lot of people technically come under the sort of heading of Keighley. It's like over six hundred thousand sort of people, you know, but. It's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a nice size ground for what it is, but it's never going to be hmm. Odsal or whatever. You know, it's never going to be sort of a, a, a it's it, unless someone basically comes along, uh, and some one of those Saudi Arabian millionaires comes along and basically builds an entire new thing. Then no, uh, and then people are still complaining because it'd be too much and yeah. Bovril's too much, and you know, it's just. You know, <laughs> these Saudi Arabian oil billionaires, they haven't discovered rugby league yet. It's, 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 it's very no. sad. No, it feels like the, it's the only thing they're missing, really. You know, like why buy Newcastle? It's like, oh, everyone knows about that. You know, come, come, come down to the miners. We'll, we'll, we'll treat that money with, you know, can you imagine how far that money would go in the north? Oh, you know, you can have gold, everything. I, yeah, it'd save you a lot of money. Possibly. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, my mum uh, does actually work at a petrol station across from Cougar Park. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they would just go in there and buy all of the petrol for everybody. 
<laughs> and just and it'll just be like that bit in Zoolander where they're just <laughs> having a having a fight with the petrol. It'd be fine. It'd be <laughs> See, the other the other rugby league TV connection, which which is something I've been looking for. It used to be on YouTube, was when Harry Grayson left Look North, which again this is this is for the Yorkshire based listeners. Oh yeah. The first time he left Look North in the in the mid nineties. He did a, yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of adverts for, for Northern Upholstery, as was DFS, as is now. But mm-hmm. And one of them was on YouTube. It's not there anymore. And he, he was mocked up in a studio presenting the news uh, yes, on, on, the, on Northern Upholstery's it. latest, uh, you know, three years interest-free credit and uh, free Parker, oh, not Parker Pen, that's, that's Parkinson. But uh, it's, it's, it's I, gone. I, it's I, gone. I, I don't want you to get Parker confused with aggression. They're very, very different men. <laughs> Yeah, we're all big fans of uh, we're all big fans of Harry Gresham. That's the difference. Um, that, that is very true. That is very true. Uh, yeah, no, he is. I, I, th- I think I just saw him on a stairlift advert on oh. Talking Pictures TV. Oh, oh and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm gonna have to watch. I mean, that is Something a great channel, like and, and that is it a great is. channel full it of is. obscure stuff. We all have that hovering channel where it's just like there's nothing on, so I'm just gonna have this on. A lot of people have Dave on. For example, I, I our challenge, I have Talking Pictures TV, because it's just always something old and quite comforting and, you know, especially in the last 18 months, you know, comfort has been... I mean, that's partly why I wrote sort of the last... The, the last book I wrote was just about 90s Christmas TV, and I said I wasn't going to write that. And then 2020 happened, and I think just a lot of people went back to comfort. They just wanted, like, all... The, when when cinemas did open, there was like it was all stuff like Hocus Pocus and Grease and Back to the Future, you know, all sort of reissue stuff. The charts. I mean, look how many Christmas songs went back in the chart last year, and two songs that had never been number one before uh, got Christmas number one finally. Uh, Wham and Mariah Carey, because people just wanted warmth. They wanted something that was from a time that wasn't this, <laughs> the darkest timeline, you know. Uh- I, I feel a fraud because you've written four books. Here's, here's one of them about Christmas TV. I write a column every month in, in Forty Twenty magazine about TV, which is which is hard to do when I don't really want to talk about rugby league on TV because I've kind of set myself parameters in so much as I don't want to slag people off because a you know I might meet them somewhere along the line and b I don't really want I, I'm not really slagging yeah. them off for, for anything in particular you know so so it, it's hard to criti- be critical in that way. But yeah, it, yeah, no. It's you know, as opposed to you know, I, I, we can have a go at Stella Black because A, she's dead, and B, she's she's not going to read a rugby league magazine. But I do also, she was awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, as, uh, there are, yeah, there are certain people you've not heard very good things about at all, and she's definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, come back and haunt me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it, uh, and she probably didn't like rugby league anyway. But in the last issue, I, no. I wrote about Kenny Everett because he's been on uh, That's TV Gold, which is another one of these random Yes, channels. yeah. I don't get show. that one. I'm really annoyed. Oh. Even though I've got the DVDs You still want to watch that too. just watch it. But it's like the fact that it's on. It's just on. <laughs> I mean, the, the point it's of my... Uh, I brought it into the column for Abe because I had nothing else better to write about because uh, the season's finished now. And and it, yeah, it, yeah. it does say at the start, it, this is presented in its original form and you know some bits are of their time. Uh, which, which I think I'm, I'm glad they do it that way instead of butchering it to hell because, uh, yeah, giving the audience some intelligence. Of course, there's some stuff you wouldn't want to repeat, you know, from the past. That's fair, enough, but I don't no, think there was anything no. necessarily on there that was too, too. Uh, yeah, so there's a few dodgy accents, yeah. and you know, it's weird because people don't see him having a 
scantily clad dance troupe as much of a problem as Benny Hill because Kenny was gay. But, you know, it, we don't, we don't, I don't think anyone actually knows if Benny Hill was either. He was, he was a, always a bachelor. And I don't think it shouldn't matter. No. You know what I mean? But it's weird how we have these, they're all right, they're not okay. It's like, if you ever want to love any 70s music ever, never look into what they did in the 70s. Led Zeppelin, dear Lord. Bowie, I love Bowie. Bowie's a hero of mine. Bowie did some terrible things. Never look at what these people did because, you, you know, but it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, because there are quite a few disgraced mm. celebrities in my book. <laughs> you can't get around that. There's lots of Rolf. There's lots of now, then, now, then. Uh, I refuse to invoke his name. You know, I mean, and, I, you know, there's. I love Steve Coogan, but I'm not going to watch that drama. No, drama. why does that exist? That shouldn't be a thing. He looks like Mr. Majika anyway, the pictures <laughs> that have leaked. No, that's a proper deep cut reference for a, a people of a certain age, but no, it, no, why? Don't, don't do this. I think what, what know, are the I'd rather that... see Dave Lee Travis play Macbeth. <laughs> I've got I've got the give us a break uh, game somewhere. I need to dig that out for one of the Skype quizzes. Um, one thing I, one thing that surprised me, and I guess this is because having been born in 1980, the, the, the end of the 70s is a kind of mystery. And it's kind of um, my view of it is coloured by things like, so which coloured probably the wrong word here, but you know, things like mind your language and love thy neighbour and this and the other. But was how um, interracial some of the uh, dance routines were it wasn't uh it wasn't made out to me i think it's just here are people dancing some of them are black some of them are white and some of them have very little clothes on them it's on itv but you know it was, it was yeah it was an interesting yeah. thing to no. watch as a historical document of things at oh, the time yeah. Yeah. And, and barry cryer yeah. looks exactly the same he does he does really very much he's like when he goes it'll be more sad than when the queen goes i'm sorry if there are any royalists it's not an anti-queen thing it's a pro barry cryer thing because that man has just been there it was like when dennis norden went dennis norden had just been there forever you know and you just have to like you have to respect those people who've just been the fundament basically on which everything else sort of uh like although that said Still don't want to watch David Williams' version of it. It'll be all right on the night because it's dreadful. You've mentioned Benny Hill, and I need to mention this because I was going to do it anyway. Um, and, I, and I've just watched it again now. Oh, dear God. The, the, it's the, not, it's Benny not, Hill's Spectrum game, is it? It is. It is. Oh, God. <laughs> it's one of the first things that are, of yours that I remember watching uh, on, on, on the YouTube. Is you mm-hmm. playing Benny Hill's madcap chase? I mean, how that I, I, playing's I, a strong word. <laughs> I mean, I, I've actually seen somebody else play and get onto a second level, which is you know the fact that believe that exists. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to believe that exists. Do you well, want to tell the people what the point <laughs> of the game is? Well, the first level, Benny Hill in Berry. Well, is it Benny Hill? He's in Dirty Old Man. Fred, Fred Scuttle. Uh, Wait, and you say that there were houses that didn't watch IT, but Benny Hill was not a program we'd have watched in a very progressive socialist household, unfortunately. So, uh, I, don't, I don't really remember watching it much. Obviously, it was on for quite a long pe- period of time, and then Freddie Starr, 
So it basically did a, <laughs> a series of scripts that had been written for Benny Hill. Uh, and you know what's really interesting about that, why I bring that up? Because Freddie Starr <laughs> rang us up at 3 a.m. in about 1990. I swear this is true. Uh, my uncle had gone to see him at Blackpool, got very drunk with him, and uh, then basically said, "Oh, you should get my my uh, my uh, nephew on. You know, he's a, he's because my dad was trying to be a comedy writer and stuff like that. So he sent a load of jokes. He never heard anything. Then that series came out, and my dad said, "That was my joke. That was my joke. That was my joke." So you know, there are there are certain uh, things. And Benny Hill just just it's bad. It's bad memories. Just if he hadn't gone, who who knows? You know, of course, the most you know what the most interesting Benny Hill story is. Go on. Uh, it's the tribute he paid to Frankie Howard when Frankie Howard died, even though he was already dead <laughs> because his agent couldn't get hold of him. So he decided. I think it was that way around. Certainly, they both died about the same time, and I'm fairly sure Frankie went first, and Benny's agent couldn't get hold of him. So he went, "Oh, we'll miss him greatly." He was a gentleman of the old school, <laughs> sort of thing, all that kind of business. And yeah, he was already dead. So. <sighs> Yeah, and ah. if he had played Benny Hill's Madcap Chase in his last moments, <laughs> you you have to go around taking your uh, neighbour's washing and stealing it. Yes, basically. yeah, and get yes, points. Because, it's it's a very odd, you, very odd. You're helping one neighbour, but another neighbour thinks you're just a dirty old man stealing knickers and bras from the uh, from the washing line because it was the eighties and they made a video game out of anything. What what I mean, um, uh, they made as you say they made it out of every, what 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 program today would you like to see a video game of? Um, not call the midwife. That that will not be a good idea. But I'm surprised no one had. News night. I don't know because you do get those really dreadful kind of like like ITV keep advertising. Oh, you can play you know lottery jackpot slot machine versions of all of our programs. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. that's that's not really what I want to do. I mean, I spent many, many an hour playing the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire sort of trivia quiz games in pubs you know, over the years. And I did. And also there's, going back to Noel, Deal or No Deal one seems yes. to be in every Weatherspoons. <laughs> seems to be a Deal or No Deal. <laughs> Even though it's not been on television for five years. It's like, there's always a grinning Noel beckoning you in to waste your money on I don't even know how they work now it's just like it's all video, it's all it's all it's all newfangled it's, it's all, all new. too fiddly for me I'm 40 years old you see I'm it's too fiddly no, should, no. Should, they should bring back you know them knockoff space invaders uh that, that you had to put up that they, they told me was it Toby Tronic the ones yes sort of, yes it was like and it, the buttons are at the top you see you know I mean, they won't understand out. I've got so desperate for watching stuff that I managed to start watching Taggart from the start, and then the uh, the oh. pilot episode. He's in he's in the pub, which is a very nineteen eighties looking pub because it is uh, playing Pac Man, <laughs> actual Pac Man. Wow, the, the character of Taggart is addicted to Pac Man, which is something you'd not expect, but but it happens. That's pretty good because I, I I did the uh, Brit Box trial this year because there's always a trial. 
They're very thirsty. They are. He said, basically, you take a trial, and then you say, thank you, I don't want it anymore. And they say, oh, we'll have this deal. And they say, oh, have this deal. Oh, okay, have it for basically, you can come around our house and make love to our wives, and <laughs> as long as you've got a subscriber number. And I, I think by then, I've watched a few bits on that, but it became basically a, a minder delivery system because <laughs> I just watched loads of minder on it. Oh, it's like and, and four series of Minder in a month. The Minder just, game again, was written by yes. the same bloke who wrote Benny Hill's Bad Cat Chase. And the Minder game is electronics. Yeah, the, the Minder game yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, it shouldn't work at all, you know, because it, it's kind of a, a an adventure game, I guess, isn't it, really? <laughs> you sort of have to so, sort of make deals and that sort it, of thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Um, Definitely. I, I'm trying to think of anything else to ask about Christmas TV, but I, I think we've, we've covered almost pretty much everything. Apart from if you could watch one thing from the past, which you've written about, which there's no evidence of any shred of video to be found in a Nigerian TV station's cupboard <laughs> with these episodes of Doctor Who, uh, what, what would oh, it be no. that you would really like to see? No. <laughs> you know what? There's there's not a lot that isn't out there now in some way or other. It's like, I, I would love more of the Not Only But Also stuff and also uh, Alan Bennett's On The Margin just needs to... I think they did find some copies of that. But basically, it's yeah, it's stuff like that. It's uh, There's a lot of 60s comedy, definitely, that just seems to have completely vanished. Uh, in terms of Christmas stuff specifically, it, it's weird because... All these things that used to be just verboten. Uh, so, example, in the book, there's a chapter about the Queen's speech, kind of a, just a rough history of interesting things that happened in different years. And she only didn't do one for two years. Once when she was very, very pregnant, and once when they did this documentary, Royal Family, which was a huge deal. It got 30 million because it was on BBC and ITV, and it was basically uh, about following it was a very very close find the wall documentary about them uh following up charles's investiture as prince of wales and she decided they'd been on telly too much that year uh so they did and didn't do a speech and we, we move on sort of through the years and it was shown a few more times and then it was banned it's basically you cannot <laughs> see this anymore and it was literally if any trace of this found out it, it would be uh, probably not praise, but you know, certainly uh, a, a very large smack on the wrist. And that leaked this year in full royal family. And it's like, I never thought I'd see that. Like Hardwick House, not festive, but I never <laughs> thought I'd see these things. And suddenly they're there. And it's like, not not much of it lives up to what you imagined. You know, there's, there's a lot of like players and stuff you look at and go, that sounds fascinating or awful i can't decide what but no one's recorded it so <laughs> the pilot episode of countdown that's the one with, with, the, with the 45 second clock that's it you know that, that's 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 the kind of thing was, people was there not two i think there was two i think there are two pilots. there are two countdown pilots yeah there's the yeah. one with 45 seconds and, and the very space looking calendar countdown font which again going down, a, going down a proper wormhole here which uh well you know if there's anything which is the Christmas period to me, and I've done this many, many times, and it is, it'll either get a reaction or the blankest look uh, of anything 
that I've ever said in, throughout this time or indeed the last 40 years. Call YTV's Christmas line <laughs> on Lee's double four eight one nine nine. It's in there. It's like oh eight one eight one one eight one eight one. It's like it's just certain jingles never leave. And if you're from our neck of the woods, that was on all over Christmas. It was like if you need a plumber over Christmas, bring this number and we'll, we'll sort you out basically. And to me, that that that's Christmas. That's Christmas. That's that's perfect, isn't it? That's a perfect place to finish. Uh, the, the book is Ben Baker's Christmas Box. Did you see her? Look, you can get a shiny. Where, where can we get a shiny I, copy from? I, pa- I should pass it over to you. So <laughs> oh, oh yeah, well, <laughs> God, I have that copy. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you can go uh, find me on Twitter at Ben Baker Books is probably the easiest way, uh, and I've got a link tree. And basically, you can buy it from Amazon and Kindle, or you can buy it from Lulu, who, who I do it through, or you can buy it from me. And I will send you a copy signed personally, as you have proved. Uh, and you'll even get some fancy bookmarks and stuff, and some audio extras and bits and bobs. And I do this all myself. This cover took forever to do. Like, I don't have anyone designing stuff for me. So I had to make this and then make sure it worked, and then make sure the spine fit, and then make sure the back worked. And, you know, it, it's a constant uh, pain in areas which. I, I won't mention at Christmas, but and then you've got to go through and go, oh, is the formatting right? You know, it's like if you've got one word on one page, that sort of thing. It's <laughs> it's self-publishing is such a joy, but actually when you get a back of box of your books and stuff and you see that thing and it's a, like an actual tangible thing and stuff and people are talking about it and reading it and stuff, you just, you do get a a nice feeling and it won't sell as many copies as Josh Widdicombe's I Remember an Episode of Neighbours from 1992, which a lot of people pointed out, oh, he's done a book just like you. I'm like, he hasn't. He hasn't. He's a famous person and he's written about things he likes and so have I. Because my books are written in my voice, you know. It's like, I think my favourite entry out of any of them is a programme called Jim Davidson Special. And my my entire entry is, no, he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the bizarre thing, and I know we, we stopped and we, we, we're starting again, but here's the bizarre thing. Jim Davis, everyone knew what Jim Davison was and is, and he hosted a generation game in the 90s. It's like we mm-hmm. it's like we had a collective amnesia for a bit and forgot. I, I, it was a big break, wasn't it? Big break was massive. You know, a big break changed his career, basically. Uh, yeah, but it's absolutely baffling. And I've only been to one pantomime ever, and he was in it. Him and Charlie Drake doing Cinderella, not Cinderella with an S. Which, oh, and again, the proper one. Kids of the uh, 90s will remember he did a naughty, sex, sexy version of Cinderella, which don't, just don't. It, it, it's probably on YouTube, just just don't. And, and because I'm nice, I'm not even going to tell you what Mike Reed's copycat version was. <laughs> although cat is very implied ah. uh, in boots. So, yeah. Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> Buy the book. It's Ben Baker's Christmas box. Buy the book. At Ben Baker Books on the Twitter. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed so I always enjoy waffling. Yeah, I've got to say, we, we, we thought for a bit longer than I thought we would do, which, which is always good because, you know, the, the people, they, they, love, they love a long, long podcast to listen to while they're, you know, working at home and not doing anything these days. So it's all good. I wish every single person listening a very Merry Christmas, except 
Morris Lindsay, obviously. You know why. You know why. 